in a world where people actually watch the stuff their friends recommend. This is I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. Now you'll find out why Miss Sherwood always shows up for breakfast, Tom. It's not love, it's my coffee machine. Ever since Irma Linda showed up how to make his own espresso, he feels I like quite the grown-up. bought the coffee machine. Oh, darling, is that for me? This is for Tom, because he didn't complain. That ring is superb. <sighs> oh, Tom, I love you. See? Ooh. I had to promise, capital P, never to take it off. Otherwise, I'd give it to you. Great. I found it in Naples and I had to bargain for it for about two weeks. Ah, these rich actors do a really good job of playing rich people. I don't know how they manage. Greetings, luckers! Welcome to this edition of I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. The podcast that's one part movie discussion, one part game show where we never know what we're watching next. I'll be your host, Ben Mitchell, and you can find me on Twitter and most social media with the handle at RedHenMedia1. Just look for that Red Hen icon. And there will be four episodes in Series 7. Our series theme is Oscar Losers That Should Have Won. Today we'll be discussing the talented Mr. Ripley, 1999, which is a crime drama thriller feature film currently streaming on Fubo TV. You know, I couldn't help but notice there's Tom, Dick and Freddy in this movie because Tom, Dick and Harry were just too on the nose, I guess. Stay tuned for more astute observations as we get this very special episode out on the water. And I'm here today with my distinguished co-hosts, who are likely talking behind my back, so let's get to their conversation already in progress. With us today, the provocative one, Mr. Devin Schwartz. Uh, the game is on. Indeed. A very talented game. And my good friend, the incendiary James Pepe. I like him. Oh, Pepe, you like everybody. You know who else I like? The irrepressible gentleman, Jim Scott. Hiya, Jim. We like you, Jim. Hey. And we don't like everybody. Thank you, Ben. So we're very, we're very exclusive. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody else can go on our ski trip. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And welcome, gentle listeners and friends. Welcome, welcome, indeed. 
So why don't we kick things off by doing something I like to call headlines. Extra, 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 read all about it. Okay, Devin, what did you read today in the headlines? Yeah, I pulled this out of a uh, Italian newspaper, so pardon if the translation is not completely accurate, but a uh, local boat survives near fatal sinking, says to officials, what did I do to deserve this? I'm not even one of the more homophobic boats. <laughs> We've got a running <laughs> joke. I love it. <laughs> they must have gone to the same journalism school, these two uh, yeah, authors. Yeah, an international these... school, clearly. Yeah. In indeed, sir. <laughs> Very good. Uh, okay, what did you find today, James Pepe? Jeez, uh, I feel like we were. So uh, the the headline I found: <laughs> uh, the talented Mr. Ripley hailed as one of the most unambiguously heterosexual movies ever made. <laughs> <laughs> they used unambiguously. Wow, yeah. very strongly worded headline there. That's funny. Okay. There's no, um, there's none of that gay stuff in this movie, you guys. It's no, 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 none. Yeah. No. No not undertones, no overtones. Nope. No tones. Not a, not a tone. Not a single not, tone. Not a tone. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe a panatone, because well, they're in Italy. Maybe a panatone. But a panatone? Other, okay. There you go. those other tones. Yeah. No. Yeah, we'll definitely delve into that uh, probably right off the bat, to be honest. Um, so. What else do we have in the news? Uh, Jim, what did you find today? Sure. So uh, my eyes went straight to the travel section. You know, of course. That's what I, li I like to look at besides arts and entertainment. Mm -hmm. And uh, I seen this interesting article. It said that Mongebella was toted as the number one destination for kids to get away from their helicopter parents. Yeah, yeah, that's a selling <laughs> point there. Apparently, yeah. I wonder if that's actually true. Um, if that was an actual place, you know, where I mean, it see, it feels like the writer of this was very well versed with Italy and rich folk. So, uh, and I don't know that for a fact, but that's my that's that I figure they either studied it or it came from that kind of background. So, like, I've never even heard of this place. Have you guys? Um. No. I think I read, and don't quote me on this, but I think I read the the town of Mongebella is actually a fictitious name. It's not of even a real. Town. Yeah, yeah, it's I not, can see why they would make it real, up. Sounds real, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. I bought it. I I just didn't even question it. Yeah. Yeah. Check your facts. Check your facts. And if you do, write us an email. Okay. Um, <laughs> why don't we? Uh, figure out exactly what we're talking about here. Uh, this was a movie called The Talented Mr. Ripley in 1999, um, but let's give it a proper rundown. You started on that rundown yet? Oh, this is just something I'm taking a break with. Oh, right, we'll get back to the rundown uh, right now. Okay, great. Hey, you know what? Do you have a rundown that I could take a look at just so I know what type of rundown you're looking for? Just keep it simple. Keeping it simple, that's what yeah. I'm doing. But I am working hard on this one, real hard. You're so. working hard on this? No, not not too hard, not harder than I should. Right. I mean, why work harder than you should? <laughs> no, I... Poor Jim. 
Um, so <laughs> our boss, Charles Miner, just demanded a rundown and... Jim from the office just handed the dossier to our very own co-host, Jim Scott. So let's see what Jim Scott has for us on the talented Mr. Ripley. Take it away, Jim. Absolutely. So the talented Mr. Ripley was 1999. It was directed by Anthony Mangella, who also wrote the screenplay. And the screenplay, in turn, was based on a novel by Patricia Highsmith. Um, it stars Matt Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jude Law, and I would even include Philip Seymour Hoffman in that, although he Absolutely. had uh, more of a minor role. Yeah. Um, I don't want to go through like quite the litany of movies uh, that these actors and actresses were in because they have the long, you know, a huge list. So I probably just, know uh, it, all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And included uh, just the movies that preceded the years before, just so we could kind of get a sense of where they were in their career. So for Matt Damon, it was uh, Dogma and uh rounders in 1998 and then saban private ryan which i believe was 1997 um gwyneth paltrow was also in dogma but she was uncredited she was a woman at the airport is what it had said um she was also in shakespeare in love and a perfect murder and Jude so Law, you're mentioning an Academy Award winning movie there, Shakespeare in Love, right? Wasn't that a best? I think it was a best movie. Yeah. One. Yeah. In fact, this movie had uh, it's part of trivia, but just real quick. There mm -hmm. is four Academy Award winners that starred in this movie. And yeah, Jude Damon Law had a statue by this point. Mm -hmm. Sorry, yep. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, you're totally good. And then Jude Law has had is been nominated. Um, but he had to win. Oh, okay. Huh, huh. Yeah. It is. De definitely. And then uh, Jude Law was in existence. And uh, both of these were in 97, but there was kind of a, a shrift of films that weren't so uh, mainstream. So in 97, he was in Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, and he was also in Gattaca. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, he was in that. Yeah, he was the young kid that got killed. That was the murder trial was about. That was directed by Clint Eastwood um, and starring John Cusack mm -hmm. as well. That was a good movie. I like that one. Oh. Clint Eastwood's a very talented director. Definitely. Um, and uh, moving on to the synopsis, it's a short one. Uh, in the late 1950s New York, Tom Ripley, a young underachiever, is sent to Italy to retrieve Dickie Greenleaf, a rich and spoiled millionaire playboy. But when the errand fails, Ripley takes extreme measures. I wouldn't exactly think that Tom Ripley is a young underachiever based on the fact that he has three talents, though. Right? Yeah, that's an odd way of describing him. Yeah, he's over-talented, if anything. Well, that doesn't mean you're an achiever, though. There's a difference between being talented and being an achiever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's he true. Really, he doesn't yeah. have a job. He doesn't have, like, a, a a path in life that we clearly see. He's just kind of doing odd jobs for money. Sure, that's true. 
Yeah, I'm going to allow it. I, I'm on the side of underachiever now. <laughs> Face it, Dom. You're, so- <laughs> you're kind of a leech. You're so easily swayed, And man. you're boring. <laughs> I, I'm, looking out, I'm looking out for like oars and paddles now. <laughs> looking over both shoulders here. Yeah, never go out in a boat alone with someone and then just like, you know, cut them like that when they're unstable already. That was just... I don't want to be victim blaming here, but come on, that's just you're, <laughs> you're just begging to be murdered there. I don't know. Um, cool. Any other uh, fun facts or anything you wanted to add? Sure. So awards, it wasn't uh, nominated for five Academy Awards. Uh, uh, the most notable wow. is uh huh. The most notable was Best Actor in a Supporting Role, which was Jude Law. Um. And it yeah lost. he's shown bright in this yeah definitely I I thought I thought Matt Damon did too and Philip Seymour Hoffman but eh. oh yeah um, there was there was some stars and a lot of them were either on the rise or had just arrived they're all young stars mm-hmm. bouncing around Italy shooting a fun film yeah and uh, it lost uh, as far as that category it lost to Michael Caine in the Cider House roles oh yeah that kind of uh, knocked it out of the park at the awards that year and hasn't yeah. been as acclaimed I feel like looking back all, uh, it's one of those ones that I feel like people were like yeah it was pretty good but all of those four lead actors would go on to win Oscars at some point all of them have, have won mm-hmm. oh they all have won now never, never for okay. this movie but yeah 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 and- see the Weinsteins were behind I don't even know if I'm saying their name right Weinstein Weinstein, Weinstein anyway yeah Weinstein, really? No, no, Weinstein, I think. Is- oh, Weinstein. Okay, thank you. I misheard. Yeah, I just, uh, uh, they were, I, I know the controversy and stuff, but they were very, um, they were like attack dogs as far as like getting their actors statues at this time. That's a very well-known thing that they were, they ran very, very expensive and hard-fought campaigns to get the wins on things, so. That's why uh, a lot of these guys actually got their Academy Awards under the wing of of the Weinsteins. And then as far as uh, the ratings, uh, IMDb rates this movie 7.4 out of 10. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes is 83% on the tomato meter and then 80% audience approval. So that was pretty cool. Solid then, B as far as yeah. the goes, yeah. Yeah, and then moving on to trivia, there was a couple of things. Uh, actually, I will give me one second. The sure, very- I'll, I'll, I'll give them a, a, a ring up because so many okay. of the, these people ended up winning an award in the future. Sure. So. But I just, I, I, they're all, I, I will, we'll talk about this, but it's all a little bit tainted by the controversy that, uh, around Weinstein or whatever the hell his name is. Right. Um, I just imagine him off camera, just this big looming figure, just off like this terrible shadow, you know, hovering over these things. But uh, we'll, we'll get into that. I'm sure you guys have something to say about it too. Uh, Jim, if you don't mind, can I read my favorite fun fact about this movie that I just Sure, discovered? go for it. Uh, oh, absolutely. After is it about creepy, creepy Harvey? No, no, different creepy Aww, guy. Different okay, creepy fine. Guy. Oh, okay, after, all right. So long as it's creepy. <laughs> After viewing this film, Tommy Wiseau was so emotionally yes. moved 
that he vowed to make a film just as, if not more compelling, this film would become The Room. The Room was a legend. A legend was born at making something like this. Wow, they are worlds apart. It's a tribute movie. (laughs) (laughs) The this is the the greatest movie in the world. It's only a tribute. Yeah, Matt Damon saying, "I did not hit him. I did not." Yeah, the only version of uh, uh, the room that I've seen is the uh, the mystery science theater guys. Uh, when, when, that's probably the one to watch, actually. The riff tracks. Yeah, that's probably the only one I have. It's, oh, it was a riff tracks, not a mystery mm-hmm. science theater. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to point everyone in the right direction on that one. Okay, cool. Yeah. So check out the riff tracks of the room. Um. So the trivia that I have for this movie is, uh, like I had stated earlier, it's based on a novel by Patricia Highsmith. And in fact, she was, I don't want to say obsessed, although I i thought that that was until I read a little bit more, but she definitely had an ongoing uh, rhythm with the character of Tom Ripley. So she uh, wrote The Telling Mr. Ripley, and then she also had three other uh, novels called Ripley's Game, The Boy Who Followed Ripley, and then finally Ripley Underwater. And excuse me, The Talented Mr. Ripley is the name of the movie. Uh, it's based on the book called Ripley Underground. So Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, they, they'll do that. So it yeah. kind of did feel like it was setting up for him to just keep suffering uh, and keep killing at the end of this. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then the last bit of trivia uh, that I have is this is Matt Damon's favorite film of those he has made. So I thought that was really huh. cool. I wonder if it's his favorite film or his favorite experience shooting it or both or. Yeah, it doesn't it did, even it seem like, a fun, like it that. would be a fun shoot, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, You're literally going around, around, around Italy, Italy, playing a rich person, you know. And it's a thriller, and yeah, it seems like it would be a fun shoot. Yeah. Cool. Uh, did you come across anything about the author herself? Because I'm, I just, it feels like she's really either good at weaving that world or like that she really does know about it or come from it. Yeah, I, I did. In fact, I have uh, keyed up an article uh, that illustrates. Patricia Highsmith. Um, it is, it's almost autobiographical. She used the ah, incarnation okay. of Ripley because of who she was in life with her lesbian lovers. Yeah. It was just too rich in detail. Yeah. Yeah. And she had shared, well, since we're on the subject, I'll, I'll pull it up. Uh-huh. So but it says here, and this was a uh, New York, t- just a uh, cite it. It's uh, in the talented Mr. Ripley, a shape-shifting protagonist who's up to no good. And this is the Tea Book Club section of the New York Times style magazine. Uh, but the article starts off saying that Patricia Highsmith was Tom Ripley without the charm. She was unhappy if an affair was going well and stirred up trouble with her multiple women lovers could only write in a state of high tension. Um, Let's see. When she was the most in love, oddly enough, she thought of strangling her partner. 
Luckily, she expressed her combination of desire and violence in her writing, not her life. She identified with Ripley, her most famous creation, and would speak of him and his comings and goings as if he were a real person claiming, I am a man and I love women. And then it, just, and then it continues on. Let me see if I got this right. She would speak about her character as if he was a real person. That's right. Yeah, I've noticed some authors do that. Um, mm -hmm. I remember Anne Rice said something about Lestat like that, that she just talked about him as if he was real. I guess that, I mean, that makes sense. You know, you, you're, you're li living through their eyes or whatever on the page so intimately that it probably does start feeling real. Yeah, I would imagine some actors and actresses talk about their roles or certain roles, especially the ones that are ongoing, like mm -hmm. a television series, as if they were real. And 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 uh, just as a side note, just because I caught it, um, because you had mentioned that this movie seemed to draw on a lot of real experience. Um, the article goes on and says, like Ripley, she was a social climber and intensely aware of status. Most of her girlfriends were upper middle class, rich, well connected, preferably married. Like Ripley, she constantly fantasized. So, and she seemed upper middle class. Yeah, meant something different back then. We would think of them today as people who are millionaires. Sure. Yeah. Just by rating it by inflation and whatnot. So yeah. interesting stuff. That's a great rundown. Anything else? No, no, no. I, th I think I've I've said said enough. And uh, yeah, I think so. That was like good. The though. caption uh, said, I, "I shouldn't work th that hard." So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, but well done because I threw you a curveball there, and you totally nailed it. So, thank, thank you. you. I, I, and then I got to uh, feel smart because I noticed that there was too many details for this to just be all made up. Um, this definitely was based on somebody's experience, and it felt like it, and it did feel like a novel translated into a movie. So mm -hmm. before we get into the too deep into discussion, though, we've come to the moment that everyone's waiting for. Who done it? Let's find out. Who done it? That's right. We've reached the segment where we guess and reveal who is responsible for this week's submission. Winner with the most correct guesses at the end of this series will win a Who Dundee Award. Okay, so um, those available uh, on the chopping block here, I think if I'm remembering correctly, if memory serves, is myself. Uh, don't look too closely at me. And Jim. Yep. yep okay. That's right. So... Um, since I can't guess myself and I think this is Jim's anyway, I'm going to go with Jim. <laughs> Keep it simple. Keep it uh, simple. Yeah, it is convenient. Yeah. Uh, so I am going to go with you, Ben. This, uh, once again, feels like a filmmaker's uh, movie, you know, feels like something it sure does that you yeah. would study in film school. Even, um, I don't know. You might've gone to film school before this movie came out. Though. I don't know. I don't want to age you too. No, much. no, it okay, was after, right. but I did see this one in the theater and it's a very film school movie. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go with you. I'm not totally, it's not quite, it, while it has its disturbing elements, I don't think it's quite disturbing enough for Jim. That's my take. Jim likes more disturbing things. Yeah, how, like how disturbing? The cat and the and the unmentionable. 
how disturbed do you think I am, Devin? <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of zero to Jack Ripper. Or zero to I might hit you with an oar in a rope. Right. Zero to, yeah, I give you five oars. <laughs> a full five out of five. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, locked in. So, James Pepe, what are you thinking? I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Jim for this one. Um, I I think I've actually heard Jim talk about this movie before and say that he really likes it. So, um, oh really? Is, yeah. Should have asked I, you first. <laughs> so that is what my uh, guess is based on. Unless I'm misremembering, maybe I've totally made that up. But uh, I'm gonna guess Jim. Okay. Well, go with your instincts. All right, Jim. Couldn't have been you. Who done it? Um, I think it was you, Ben, and not the fact that you're the other side of the loop, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the beauty, the choreographed shots, uh, the period piece of it. It speaks of filmmaking, especially with modern film, where sometimes it feels like, yeah, it's an exotic place just to be an exotic place. And the camera shots are so quick. It doesn't linger. It doesn't luxuriate. You you, you know. Um, but this one does. And it's a character study as well, as revealed by the way the scenes are. And I think that definitely is in your wheelhouse and of interest to you. So I, I think it's you. It there. is. Yeah. Okay. Very reasoned. Um, for being that you had really had to vote for me. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm selling selling it short by being so direct about yours. Um, yeah, all good points, all good points. So what is it, who has the most votes or did we tie? I think tied. we tied. That's right we tied for you, left side's for Jim. Okay, uh, why, don't we, why don't we do this way then? Um, I'll ask who done it and the culprit can raise their hand. Ready? Three, two, one. Who done it? Oh, Devin. <laughs> a secret secret. What a twist. <laughs> okay. Raise okay. your hand up and reveal if you've done it. Three, two, one, go. Oh, oh. I did it. I did it. Jim. That is correct. Did you know it, Pepe? I mean, you you seem to remember him talking about it. So yeah, I think I've heard Jim talk about this movie before uh, on a couple so, of occasions. So I remember one occasion. I, if there's any other occasions, I can't remember. But there was one recently in a role playing game where one of the other players mentioned the talent of Mr. Ripley, and I was like, it was a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago or so. And I was like, shit, <laughs> so sad, you know, because I knew this movie was on the horizon. And that's why I didn't Life chime like in. That. I didn't comment, you know, I didn't say a word, but I might have spoken it, you know, in the in the past. Yeah. Not remember. Yeah, is this that. an old memory or a new memory, Pepe? No, I, this is this is an old an old memory. Okay. The moment I the moment I saw this come up, actually, I was like, oh, that's Jim's. I remember. Oh, okay. Even outside of that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, now that we know who done it, it's time to find out why done it.
Okay, Jim, let us know why you chose the talented Mr. Ripley and we'll kick off our discussion. Sure. So the talented Mr. Ripley, when it first came out, I was in my early to mid 20s. And mm-hmm. this was the point that movies weren't, I wasn't just watching movies just because, right? It was a great blockbuster or this or that. I was starting to seek out movies that were different in tone. And this was one that was significant. I watched this in the movie theater a couple of times. Uh, It was a movie that I had invited friends to, you know, on on future uh, viewings. Mm -hmm. Because the character of Tom Ripley, and we'll get into some of these elements, both as a homosexual or maybe even bisexual in hiding at least as far as the what the movie portrays um i believe clearly in the, in, in the books the subtext is a is either not there or is much more veiled but it was That's written in the 1940s too yeah oh, it was written so long ago yeah it would have to have been okay yeah when i had actually seen this movie i remember uh some of my friends saying that uh, Patricia Highsmith was very <clears throat> obsessed with this character, but because it was of a homosexual nature, um, her books were not lauded very well. Like she didn't, you know, and I remember buying that, right? as true. And on this viewing, I went back and looked up, was that true? And there was a lot of critics that loved her work. She's considered one of the iconics you you know literary uh she might not be as well known as some others but she's she's of some esteem and that's because of her subject matter that she's uh, not as well known is that still the there's a hint of truth to that or is there is that not i i think her private life and, and now i haven't read the book so i can't say for certain this is just what i've pulled up she hit it very well. Uh, you know, the that that subtext of 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 uh sexual you know tendencies with Tom Rip Ripley. That's what I gathered. So it wasn't there really to be seen. Um so the critics might not have known that that was a thing, you you know what I mean, as they're reading yeah, I wonder. the works. Yeah. So yeah. But I couldn't find anything definitive that would have said people didn't like it. The few reviews that I that I seen that were actually back then and not more current incarnations, um, a lot of the 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 novel as great. You know, they had nothing but respect for the material. So I mean, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's hard to say. Hard to say. It might have played some kind of role it's kind of hard to get definitive proof, you know, you know, why wasn't this more popular if it was lauded so highly or whatever. Um, So yeah, yeah. that's, that's unfortunate. There was no definitive thing, but that's life, right? Sometimes there just isn't a definitive answer. Um, So, so yeah, uh, I, I really enjoyed this movie. I remember unfortunately, this is another kind of a problematic movie because we just talked touched on the wine scene. 
Uh, I remember uh, American Beauty when American Beauty first came out, and I hold both of these movies. I remember that, that too. Same it's about the same time too. Ex- exactly, and that was another movie that I took a you know a lot of my friends to and watched repeatedly. Yes. That yes. whole you know the Liba to Beaver family that just implodes, and you get to be you get to see the reality of what life is yes. you know in in the home. Um, and they're both character studies. So that is part of the, excuse me, part of the reason why I picked this movie was as a character study. I, I, I think this type of material is fascinating. And it's not just ground in real experiences of the author. It's ground in some real tendencies that people, um, <clears throat> that I, I feel at least, people that are uh, not heteronormative go through. Uh, The hiding, um, the charades, impersonating something that you're not until you open that door. And it had a lot of that. Uh, Unfortunately, with this character, it was dark, you know, but those kind of things, they, they really happen. And so you find who you really are you wear a lot of masks. So uh, the movie yeah. was great in that respect too. So, and I thought it would be great for us to discuss. And I haven't watched this movie uh, pretty much since that time. I might've seen it once or twice afterwards, you know, like in my late twenties, but it's been more than a decade since I've last seen this movie. So to look at it with today's lens and who we are, you know, if we've already seen this movie before, I thought it would be a lot of fun. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, and I want to find out who's seen it or not too, and kind of get everyone else's take. But um, I did what you were talking about peaked a, a couple of the, what, well, okay. So what you said about American beauty, the parallels there, I never put that together before, but yeah. And it came out mm-hmm. of that same era. So uh, yeah. something about the late nineties that got really dark in the early 2000s. I said that before, but it's interesting. Like the more we, we watch, I can almost like put these films just by their tone into that era. And it's funny when you don't see it, when you're kind of in the era, you only see it yeah. after. I think that's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a nineties neighborhood, much like was portrayed in, 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 in American beauty. And so that one really resonated with me too. Like, yikes. It was very much like a, uh, like a Holden Caulfield type of thing that mixed in with some thriller elements and stuff. Um, so yeah, I haven't, I haven't thought about that movie in a while. That's interesting that you found that parallel. I've also known as far as this movie is concerned, uh, extremely charismatic people who have burned me. So uh, Jude Law's character felt very real to me in that regard as well. Um but I had seen it. I've seen it in the theater. I've seen it a few times since. It's actually been a long time since I've seen it. So it was definitely nice, nice to see again. Um, I liked it when it came out. I, I observed a lot of stuff now that I'm eager to talk about. Took a bunch of notes. Got a bunch of uh, sound nice. clips and stuff. So I think this will be a good conversation. Um, but I'm more curious if Devin and Pepe had seen this. Or what their thoughts are initially about it. Why don't we start with you, Devin? You look like you have something to say. Sure. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I, I had not seen this uh, before. No surprise there. Oh, but okay. In the case of basically every movie we've, I've been made to watch in this 
podcast. So far. <laughs> Made to but watch. It's Love an it. era. <laughs> I didn't want to say from which you did not exist. I mean, also, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you have to seek that stuff out. It's not just going to be in the pop culture if you, if you <laughs> it was before your time. Typically, yeah. unless it's fucking Star Wars or something. And and while I had heard the name before, I had heard the town of Mr. Ripley said. Uh, I definitely didn't anticipate it being like this. It, it, it's a kind of jovial mm. name. Like it kind of conjures yeah. the image, at least for me, it conjures the image of like a carnival or something. You know, it doesn't it doesn't sound like a horror movie or you know a, yeah. a thriller. Um, so I definitely went into it not expecting what I what I got. Mm-hmm. Nice. However, it's kind of low key under the radar. Uh, uh, one of those names that like hint at what the characters like that he like rips or tears apart everything he touches, kind of thing. So they probably did that, but it does have a kind of upbeat, jovial sound to it. You're right. Yeah. Come watch Shining, <laughs> you know, like that type of thing. Yeah, Pepe, what are your? Had you seen it? I assumed you had because you've seen everything. Like you're, you're like a film student yourself in that regard. So, have you seen this though? Let's get it on on record. Yeah, I've seen this a couple of times um, before this. Actually, okay. okay, I watched it twice just because because of our. I watched it once last week and then again mm-hmm. this week. So in total, I've probably seen it now four or five times. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're probably on par with that then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Any thoughts? And, I mean, as far as... <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> just gathering his notes. I you mean, don't hear it. No, I was just... I know that dead air is the best for podcasts. No, it is, yeah. <laughs> it just rockets us straight to the top. Um, yeah. Uh, the... So... The fir- I remember the first time I watched this because me and a buddy of mine rented it from the video store. And I think we felt like we were getting away with something because it was an R-rated movie and we might not have supposed to have been watching R-rated movies. Um, and, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, it reminds um, me of that Simpsons part where they all, all the kids sneak into... Uh... A Coen Brothers film or whatever—I I forget what it was. They were chanting it, but the joke was that you knew that it, they weren't. Not, oh, it was Barton Fink. They were all sneaking into Barton Fink. Right. Uh, yeah. Have you seen Barton Fink? Uh, I can't. It's remember. not something you, a little kid would be like super happy to sneak yeah, into. Yeah, well, that's so. a Coen Brothers movie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or they, and they did a similar bit with the Naked Lunch, right? That- <laughs> I don't know, but that's perfect. Yeah, exactly. You get yeah. how it's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so we rented it. It was in the horror section or maybe the thriller section. Mm-hmm. Um, we might have heard something about it, about it being kind of brutal too. Um, but I mean, I was yeah. like, I was like fifteen or sixteen at this time, probably. Okay. And um, at the time, we were watching things like The Evil Dead, you know, and like Alien and shit like that. Um, and this one kind of just put us to sleep. Um, mm-hmm. but that was again, it's definitely like, a slow burn. Yeah. 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 That was, a, that was our sort of our first watch, my first watch of it. Um, probably not mm-hmm. the best circumstances. Okay. Um, so how did this thing evolve for you? Yeah. Since then it's, um, risen in my estimation, but I do even now watching it, it does feel like it goes on a, a little too long. It gets yeah. a little sloggy. Um, but the ending is just so good that, uh, yep. like, the ending, like, 15 seconds or probably 30 seconds of this movie are just so good um, that when you see it, you kind of forget about, uh, 
or at least for me, I kind of forget about what a slog the sort of previous probably like hour was. Yeah, as edited, you have to be the type of viewer that is ready to luxuriate in Italy for a couple of hours because it feels like a two hour plus movie when you watch it. It's not trying to race towards that finish. It's confident in its yep. pace and it invites you to just kind of relax and go along for a, a nice... Uh, um, ah, see, I'm dropping the ball here. What, what's the Venetian... A nice Boat. gondola ride. Yeah, thank you. There I'm gonna you fix go. that later in post. It's like a little <laughs> gondola ride yeah. through Italy with a, a some knife play. You know, someone's gonna get stabbed and dumped. So, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, if I were to edit it down, maybe I would have edited some of Kate Blanchett's stuff when she meets him again um, at the, the first time or something, and just tighten it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's hard think, to say yeah. where, where to make cuts like that off, off the cuff. You'd really have to take a close look. But I think towards the end of the second act, it, it felt like a little slow or something, maybe. Yeah, I think, um, I, think, I think you could do a lot of trimming basically after the first murder. Spoiler alert. After the first murder. <laughs> um, uh, you do need some time to set up um, Tom's relationship with Peter is is that his name or am I misremembering? Peter Kingsley. Yeah, yeah Peter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because that's sort of what makes the end hit so hard is because oh, you totally. see that they, you know, the relationship with him might be the only like one the only or one of the only genuine relations he has with someone in this mm -hmm. movie. I think he I think he probably legitimately likes. Um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, Marge, I think he probably likes her, but isn't in love with her, although I think, although he's constantly confessing his love for her. Um, I think he really does fall in love for Dickie, Jude Law's character, and I think he really does fall in love with, um, is his name? Peter? Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Peter. Uh, yeah, Peter. I think he really does love Peter. Um, I agree. And I think that's yeah. sort of borne out in the ending scene, of, you know, the last mm -hmm. scene. Yeah, very effectively, I think. Yeah. Um, and actually, the the other really memorable scene in this for me comes at the end, too, is when he's talking to... Um, he's talking to the private detective, and he's standing in front of that flag. It's such a ridiculous shot, because there's no good goddamn reason for him to be, like, standing in front of this, like, rippling red and gold flag. But it's so beautiful. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time I see it because I'm just like, man, that's such a good shot. But it's it just it makes there's something about it that doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, why is this shot in this movie? But it just looks because so it good. looks good. Yeah, yeah, that's the answer. I mean, it, it's it one of those, great. and I know I've mentioned this before. It's one of those David Lynch things where he's like, I want this shot, like as if it was midnight with you know no lights around. Yeah, right. And the lighting guy's like, how the hell are we supposed to do that? You know, and he's and then he set up some kind of light. And he's like, no, this is all wrong. And 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 the light guys like insisting they have to have some kind of light. And I mean, it's a movie, right? Yeah. And uh, and so he's like, yeah. well, where does the light come from? Well, where does the music come from? Right. The same place the music comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Same place the music comes from. Come on. There's some diegetic play in this one. Um, speaking of music. Um, I almost kicked it off with this clip, so maybe I should just play it now because I, I like Philip uh, Seymour Hoffman. His oh, character man. in this yes. is really great. His Everyone loves Freddie. 
and yeah. so despicable and just so you love to hate but he's awesome so hate, hateable yeah. he's so God, he's yeah asshole. this whole like okay might, might i say that this whole thing if you like this movie and this kind of stuff you will definitely like Columbo because this has definitely felt like a Columbo episode or a, a, like a, a Columbo movie. They even had like the French detective that was Columbo for two seconds, giving him mm-hmm. heat uh, before he got pulled off. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but it's one of those things where you kind of like almost root for Ripley to get away with it, you know, where you're rooting for the bad guy in a sense. You've, you somehow they yeah. make you empathize with them and, you know, you know, he's terrible and done this terrible thing, but you still want to see him like, you know, somehow wriggle out of these situations. And that's kind of the fun and the tension of it. Um, but here's where Freddie is just onto him like uh, like glue right off the bat when he comes when he finds him. There we go. It's a new piano. Probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't. Uh... Did this place come furnished? Like, it doesn't look like Dickie. Uh, it's really horrible, <laughs> isn't it? It's so, uh, bourgeois. Oh, that's a, uh, you should mo- watch that. Excuse, Excuse me. You know, in fact, the only thing that looks like Dickie is you. Hardly. Hmm. So, have, you, have you done something to your hair? Is there something you'd like to say, Freddie? What? Do you have something you'd like to say? I think I'm saying it. Something's going on. Either it's converted to Christianity or to something else. Well, I would suggest you ask Dickie that yourself. I'll tell us it's on Della Croce, just off the Corso. Is it on Della Croce, just off the Corso? You're, you're a quick study, aren't you? The last time you didn't know your ass from your elbow, now you're giving me directions. Oh, that's not fair. You probably do know your ass from your elbow. I'll see you. So I captured that to, to for the diegetic, non-diegetic sound that they played with there, which, but it was also a great scene. Uh, he basically yeah. embodies this piano thing that he's doing physically in his acting and in the dialogue after that, and they smartly added that same or similar discordant sound into the score, which I thought was really clever and effective. But uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, awesome. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact I read that I didn't want to mention too early mm. that uh, statue that he almost knocks over the bust, which becomes mm. important later on is a bust of yes. uh, Roman emperor Hadrian, who was most known for um, having a gay lover. Oh, um, yeah, okay. the Roman emperors probably did, um, but his was also killed um, at, at one point was assassinated. So, Nice. Yeah, uh, yes. So many busted. details. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can tell when filmmakers care about a project when you just there's just so many more details than you'll ever know that has gone. Yeah, into. 
I, I think that that richness too, you know, finding that out. I, I had read that and then forgot it. I'm so glad I'm so glad you brought you, you know, you yeah. talked on that because it does. It has a place in the in, in the in in the film. But talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman, I love him as an actor. And unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah very tragic. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's very unfortunate that some of the most talented have, you know, issues in mental health. You know, and that coupled with substance abuse, unfortunately. Uh, I love Philip in uh, Flawless, where he played a drag queen with Robert De Niro. That was a great movie. Uh, he's just a phenomenal actor. But in this role, playing just this rich, arrogant, but at the same time, very insightful. He was on yeah. to he was on to Tom from the beginning. Oh, absolutely. He knew yeah. exactly who he was. Yep. Um, and I was wondering if he's gay and just like, and therefore kind of an outsider in a certain sense too, and, and therefore like more acute to like what's happening. Like he kind of like sees it coming or something. I almost wondered if that was like, uh, uh, I know they never like directly say, but it's almost yeah. like he steps into the boyfriend role as soon as he arrives, you know, and like steals, um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Dickie. Dickie, thank you. Jude yes, Law's exactly. character. Yes, yeah, Jude Law's character. I, I don't think that I, I don't think that he was a homosexual. Just my just my take on sure, on the sure. film. That he was homosexual, but I think the role that uh was it uh uh Kate Blanchett said? Uh you, you know, Dickie has a way of shine you know, ha, uh shining you in the sun. And you feel warm. Oh, yeah. And you want to be that. around him. You, you, you know, I think the jealousy came from, I'm here, and I'm going to get me some <laughs> some dicky time. You, you, you know, and you're the Either third way, wheel. that yeah. sets them up as adversaries. So he's probably, yeah. like, just more skeptical of this guy, right? It's yeah. almost like... If you're out, anytime you're like outside of a relationship, things are way more obvious, you know? Yeah. yeah like yeah. if you're watching reality and reality TV, you're like, oh, I know exactly what you need to do. You know, you need to break up. You're, you're toxic or whatever. And mm -hmm. you're, you know, you're talking to the TV, the armchair quarterback in the relationship or whatever. So it's probably similar to that. Yeah. How I read it was similar to Jim that, uh, that he was not, Freddie was not meant to be a gay character but that uh tom very much saw him as that saw him as like clearly this guy is a rival he saw him as yeah. a rival yes yeah. yes, yes. Mm -hmm. and okay. uh i think that that's also made very clear later much later when he's in the police station talking to the detective who is like speaking in very veiled terms but then tom says something along the lines of are you insinuating that they were gay lovers or something like that like tom brings up the idea of freddie and uh Dickie being gay lovers like yes he does that's so, right like, mm. that's in yeah. his mind that they were um but he was no worried about it and we're it, seeing but... it from his perspective yeah yeah yeah, yeah he movie, was he was generally worried yeah the movie makes a point of showing freddie hitting on women and things like that and, and he could be doing that as a cover which you know gaiman will do um especially back then but i think i think more likely it was just meant to show that he wasn't actually interested in Dickie. yeah i don't think it was supposed to be like affirmed you know, 
100% the film, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, who knows? His sexuality may have been, you know, one of any of the many uh, sexualities that we now have words to describe that didn't back in the 40s or whatever when this took place. Um, yeah, I also thought of Six Degrees of Separation when when watching this. Dude, have you guys seen that one at oh. all? You guys remember that one? Yes. It's about someone who, and there's also A Place in the Sun, which is another one. It's about like lower class people somehow conning, and I'm using scare quotes, yes. conning their way into the upper class and really liking the lifestyle. And then when inevitably it all comes to an end, they do drastic things to try to stay in the, the warmth of that sun, right? Like that Eddie Murphy movie. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> what's that, what's Wait, that which one? Trading places? Trading places. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Like that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the iconic version of that story. Um, great story, though. Uh, great movie. Um, let me play the clip that you guys are talking about. I, have, I think I have both of those or close to them. Um, yeah, I called this clip. Sorry, no skiing. <laughs> Sure. The thing with Dickie, it's like the sun shines on you and it's glorious. And then he forgets you and it's very, very cold. So I'm learning. When you have his attention, you feel like you're the only person in the world. That's why everybody loves him. It's always the same. Whenever someone new comes into his life, Freddy, Fausto, Peter Smith Kingsley, he's wonderful. Have you met him? Especially you. No, no. That's just the boys. Play, they always play at killing each other. He's drowning me! He's drowning me! I'm sorry about Cortina, by the way. What about Cortina? Didn't. Didn't. Didn't Dick say? He, he spoke to Freddy, and, and apparently it's not going to work out. Well, it's because it, everyone else can ski and it affects where you stay. Ah, to be used by the rich and then discarded like the trash that we are. <laughs> you should just know how to ski. I know, learn how to <laughs> ski, peasant. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> uh, so I want to drop in here. I, I like kind of want to drop my overall opinion of the, the mm-hmm. film since I haven't really... Yeah, yeah, let's hear it, guys. It. Sure. Uh, yeah, so I... When I first watched this, we had an. If you're listening to this far in the future, we had an extra week between recordings um, on this one. We did indeed, and so I had some time to kind of think about the movie and actually re. I rewatched bits of it. I kind of scrubbed through it just to kind of refresh myself on some of the major scenes. But um, nice. In, in doing so, I did notice that the proportion of the film is very different than what I thought. The like bit. Be- I'll just spoil it now. Spoiler: the bit before he kills Dicky 
in my mind remembering the movie i was like that's like the first half it's like them kind of hanging out for the first Mm -hmm. half and then he kills him and the second half is him like covering it up but it's like the first quarter of the movie he kills him oh yeah it happens and then it's like an hour and a half of him covering it up it's it's a very different proportion than i thought it Um, feels so rich in that beginning part too like being in the sun and the fun and games are so nice and yeah, it feels yeah. longer than it actually and, is. And yet there's always this like very minor background thing of like something's going to happen. Like I, I wasn't totally sure at first. I was like, I didn't know this was a thriller. You know, I didn't know for Some sure. Some of that's the score too. Yeah, no matter exactly. how nice it is, the score is just always dark, you know? Particularly the scene you open the podcast with where he is imitating them. Like that could just be like a funny thing he's doing, but the score is like, oh no, he's crazy. It sells it, yeah. yeah this, it's like, he is insane, okay. Like, it's I the musical it. equivalent of cutting to the evil dog and you know the dog's evil because he's doing this <laughs> with his eyes looking back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, bum, 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 bum. So anyway, in the moment of watching, the first time I watched it, I I was overwhelmed, I think, by the sort of genericness of the movie, which I'm going to explain. I don't want to sound as bad as it sounds. In my mind, I I don't know if this was necessarily this film perfected a style that had existed for a long time, or this film invented a style, which I have since seen many times. But really, either way, to me, the like setting of it being in Europe and being overwhelmingly white and being about rich Mm -hmm. people doing rich things felt so like art film and being like vaguely homoerotic which became more homoerotic as the film went on but like all of it was like yeah this is like this is the most generic thing ever it's like you know every art movie is about some rich white people having fun in europe and it's like vaguely homoerotic (laughs) and it's just like this felt so done before and i think that that on my first viewing really overwhelmed everything else that was going on i just kept thinking like yeah god this is so like played out and even when it got more interesting I was sort of still like lingering on that. And as I thought about it more throughout the week, I think that I have come to to recognize it more as it begins in a very generic way so that when it turns and becomes a very different movie, that is an even more of like a gut punch. And that's actually like a really cool like way of making the film that it, it is really kind of like wraps you in a sense of security early on. Like, yeah, this is just like your typical art film. And then like, and yet now it's like a murder mystery or not a murder mystery, but like a, uh, I don't know, a caper kind of. Yeah. Um, the it, status it quo, that, this, it does. And the status quo they establish is so lovely. It's boats and yeah. good food and good music and good times, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and so it's very, yeah. They, when the, when the filmmaker and the storytellers rip that out from under you, you really hurt from it, yeah. you know? Exactly. And, and then when the reality comes rushing in, when that poor girl drowns herself, you know, and kicks off the bad yeah. times. Yeah. And on top of that, I, there's some incredible performances in, in this film. I think that there are. While Jude Law, I think, gives a lot of good performances throughout his career. I think personally, Matt Damon and Gwyneth Paltrow, these are their best performances. I don't I don't think I've seen either. Well, Matt Damon might agree with you. Since. Yeah. I mean, I think Matt Damon's fine. Gwyneth Paltrow's fine. But I think they kind of went downhill from this movie. Honestly, I think mm. that they, like they did mm. really well in this. And uh, it is shocking because, like, I have I've never really, other than Goodwill Hunting in this movie, I've never thought of Matt Damon as a good actor. Personally, mm-hmm. like, it was like he did great when he was young, and then he lost it. And I think that's been just like affirmed by by this movie that it's, uh, yeah, he really had something uh, early on. And and I, I mostly think it's casting. I think a lot of the movies he gets cast in weren't aren't particularly good after this. But I also haven't seen some of his. Some it's of kind of the the um the problem is similar to Steve Martin. And that Steve Martin is a very funny and extremely talented comedian, physically, musically, whatever, what have you. 
Okay. And, but after he was in Father of the Bride, everyone just saw him as that dad guy. So that's all he played. I mean, he was just cashing those paychecks off into the sunset. Yeah. Um, but if you look at his work earlier on, it was much more uh, dynamic and nuanced. Yeah. I, I feel like, unfortunately, in modern day, and I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, uh, wholeheartedly with you, Devin, um, that there is. A, a, you know, a summit and then and great actors just kind of fall from that, unfortunately. But I, I feel like it's the modern films because they cater to a worldwide audience now. They're more action-y. And so even some of our greatest, you know, stars, they're they're action heroes now. And it just—it's like leading men syndrome or something. Yeah, yeah, and it just takes away so much from uh, just the uh, you know the range that the range. these actors yeah. can, we can perform. We want to put them in a yeah a cubby, you know, and, and say and you're this a, Tom Hanks, you're this, you know. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because you know seeing actors and actresses in in, in roles that are nuanced. Uh, that are varied, like y- y- you know, it's not a, a, a good example of it is um, Nicholas Cage. Yes, he may not be the best actor, but just to use that in, as an example, he's been typecasted in this certain type of role, y- y- you know, and over it's the just, top. Yeah, and, and is, I yeah. him at a ten. Yeah, sure. And I, I just hate I, that's the current trend of like the modern schlock movies that I really don't like. You, it's you really know? up to the actor and their and the people repping them to yeah. if the actors are comfortable with cashing paychecks and doing that, that's fine. I you know I mentioned Tom Hanks earlier. He's actually maybe kind of the opposite. They had him pegged mm-hmm. as a leading comedy guy and a romantic comedy guy, and he yeah. somehow broke out of that. And later in his career, went on to do more interesting things, I think. Yeah. yeah. He's one of the things. I also wanted to say that, real quick, uh, it's just a quick point. He, uh, uh, not him, um, leading actors in general, I think, do follow that trend that you're talking about, Jim. I think that the character actors are the ones who enjoy doing interesting roles off into their later years, uh, like Willem Dafoe, you know, and, and others. Mm hmm. Yeah, they're able to avoid being boxed in so much. Yeah, I was just going to say about Tom Hanks that he he or his representatives seem to be very purposeful in the way they take roles. He, his roles seem like he is really experimenting with different types of filmmaking and different types of characters, especially lately. And he really doesn't seem to just take any random gig. He's he seems to be choosing what he no. Really and does. sometime in his thirties, he stopped doing that and yeah. kind of so he had a. I don't know. I can't. I'm trying to just really quickly, since we're talking about him, pinpoint what movie changed that form. I don't want to say Forrest Gump. Philadelphia. Was it Philadelphia? I think it must have been that. Yes. Very different. You're I, I right. Before that, it was like you've got mail, yep. and then Philadelphia. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting that order wrong, but at some point, he definitely shifted. Yeah, yeah. that was an Academy Award winning film mm-hmm. and really broke the mold for him. Yeah, it did. You're right. Well done, Jim. Yeah. Sa- same thing with Robin Williams. Robin Williams was in the same, like, oh, he's just comedy until in the I 90s. Think it, yeah. 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 Until was it what dreams may come? Uh, Goodwill mm-hmm. Hunting was a real, oh, man. Mm-hmm. I loved mm-hmm. him in Good Goodwill Hunting. And he had they, dabbled, though. 
Like yeah. Good Morning Vietnam and yep. oh god, what's the other one? It was just on the, on my head. Um, uh, oh, I'll remember in a second. Anyway, but yeah, it took yeah. a while to get to get footing for him on that because I think some of them were Good Morning Vietnam. I think that was a big hit. At least I remember it kind of being a big. It was. Hit. It it was. But he it was still a did both. Hit. I think he. What happened with him was he had done other types of movies. They didn't know what to do with Robin Williams. Is yeah. the thing nobody could really. They tried to put him in yeah. a box. I think he was in a lot of really bad movies. <laughs> he was. <laughs> which I've he seen. was in a lot of really great movies too. Um, yeah. And he still did indie movies. Uh, he did one directed by Bobcat Goldthwait, where his son, maybe Pepe remembers this one, since you watch a lot of indie movies. His son uh, dies in a masturbation accident. Yeah. And everyone assumes it's suicide or whatever, mm-hmm. and he becomes like a writer and stuff. So he he did that some good stuff. One. That was the one on the top of my head as one of his worst movies. Sorry, I, really? oh, you don't like that one? I thought horrid. that was an interesting movie. <laughs> that movie ends with I, him it was black comedy, and you don't pool. It was it was a very weird movie. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like weird and black comedies and stuff like that. So was like I was also like, oh, way to go, Bobcat! Like way to also break your mold. But with ta- with um with uh, Robin Williams, I think what it was was he was doing other movies that were more independent. And then he ended up doing like some big mainstream hits. And mm-hmm. then he was almost like retype cast in that, in the nineties mold or whatever, and then had to kind of break it again later on. Yeah. Just to develop that, that ideal. Cause, Cause I do agree with you, Ben and Devin, that there are some actors that are, I guess you could say conscientious about their film choices. And there, there is some responsibility for the the actor, actress, and their agent to pick the roles uh, that really define your acting chops or that you want to explore. But we're talking about Tom Hanks, so he has mm-hmm. this star power that will bring people to those seats. Yes, he can greenlight projects other, basically by signing on to them. Yeah, so there, there, there is an argument to be said that because of that, right, he has more flexibility to even be able to choose roles in the first place. Yep. Um, whereas other actors and actresses are great in, in their craft, but they're not a Hanks. You don't and, always get to choose, yeah. Yeah, and Hollywood, you, you know, because it is about the worldwide and it is about more the sure thing and less taking risks. And these are just generalities, but I do believe we're in that place where it's about the money. It, you know, these same Especially in movies. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's all over and there's, we got the streaming wars and your show has to be freaking good because it has a billion dollar budget now too. Um, but I'm talking about Lord of the Rings, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's it's hard to when when we're talking the numbers that big, it's hard to you know roll yeah. the dice on stuff. You know, it's, it makes yeah. it harder to do. It would. Yeah. How could you not let that interfere with your creative process? You know, and just forget that how much money is in investment and time has gone into this and people's reputations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to bring it back to this film a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. and also speaking of strange casting decisions. Uh, Matt Damon. One one last fun fact I have about this movie. Is like, <laughs> oh, I cool! Love so yeah, bring much. it. I bring love it. The fun facts. Uh, kind of, it's it's circ- circuitously about this film, but uh, Matt Damon played. It was in Deadpool two as a random redneck. It's a thing he did in a couple Marvel movies. He would just show up as a random background character. But oh, fun! Because it was like an uncredited role. 
they did credit him, but they credited him as Dickie Greenleaf. So Dickie Greenleaf is oh, a actor great. who played in Deadpool 2 as a random nice. That's funny that he used Dickie and yeah. not uh, yeah. uh, Tom Ripley. He, he's still yeah. tortured. I love it. He's, he's still yeah, tortured. He's still going. Living, living he's still a life going. That's, that's not his own. Oh, I have a, is that? Yeah. I have a question for you, Devin, since this was your first time um, seeing this film. And actually, it could be for uh, you, you guys, too, uh, Ben and James. Sure. Just because, uh, if if you remember, so we talked about you know the beginning of this story being kind of like a, uh, you know, an art film by numbers, right? We've seen this type of film before. When did you guys realize that it was going to take a turn for more darker uh, material? Was it right up into the fact that he killed? Uh, Dickie, you know, Tom killed Dickie Greenleaf, or was there some moment where you're like, wait a minute, this ain't quite the movie I think that it is? Well, I think that there's a couple moments for me at least that it's kind of like a, a gradient, it like becomes mm -hmm. more and more apparent. So I think the moment I realized that this was more than an art film was, like I said, that that scene where he's imitating them and it's playing that kind of horror stinger uh, underneath that part. I was like, okay, something else is going on here. Um, yeah. And then the like second layer of that was when the, the scene in the boat, um, very famous scene where he murders him. Um, that was like, okay, clearly this is a very different film. Yeah. Um, and then the, I think the third layer comes a little later when he kills Freddie, when he kills a second time, because then it's like, you yeah. really realize what this movie is about. It's about setting up Tom Ripley in this like vicious cycle that he's now going to be in for the rest yes. of his life, where he's just going to have to keep killing to keep this secret that he'll never be able to keep. He just has to keep, you know, he's stuck in this like kind of Sisyphusian nightmare of just like yes, gaining well a little bit of love and then having to kill the person he loves because he has to keep his secret. Uh, yep. Because yeah, he so loves the money more and not moments. going to jail or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that yeah. for me, that murder scene is so violent. And I didn't, it had been so long since I've seen this that I didn't remember just how violent and real that was. And I love that type of violence more than the like kind of 10 minute fight thing where you can take a hundred yeah. punches um, where, when the hits actually count and are real. Ooh, it's just chilling. It's just a totally yeah. different thing. I get the cartoon violence and the action movie stuff can be fun and it's more of like a joy ride. But when violence gets real like this, it's so um, traumatizing, even as a viewer, just to see it, the theater of the macabre, right? Isn't that what yeah. that was called? Did I get that one right? Yeah, um, so I think that's when it hit me again. I don't remember the first time. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, god damn, that head wound. It actually made me feel sick, to tell you the truth. Uh, so that's when it... I'll play the clip. If uh, Unless, Pepe, did you want to respond to that question as well? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I My first viewing of this, I think, was just, like, basically not a viewing. Um, yeah. But... Um, Didn't count. Yeah, I, but I don't, maybe it's just because I, well, what am I trying to say here? This movie never struck me as being any, anything other than a movie about a guy who is lying and going to eventually take over the life of Dickie Greenleaf. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I mean, I, I think that that's actually kind of, 
I don't know if uh, Matt Damon's character really like has fully committed to that at the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I, maybe it's just because I, I, I've seen so many movies and stories like this, but like when you have someone in a movie um, or a story who is like lying in a very bold way, I don't know. Mm-hmm. For me, that's just like, oh, okay, that's what this movie is about. Like, is going to be the the unraveling of this lie or the playing out of this lie. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. So I don't know. I the first part of this movie is so to me, it's it's very exciting um, and very interesting, and you're kind of wondering um, where it's going to go and when. Uh, the other shoe's going to drop if Matt Damon is really going to assume uh, mm-hmm. Jude Law's, char- you know, personality and character and how he's going to do that. Um, or if he's just going to steal his wife away or what. Um, and then after the after the movie, I guess I shouldn't say the first, did I say the first, the first part. And then after he kills him, um, I don't know. It just gets a lot less interesting. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure why. So that tension didn't hold for you of will they catch him? That wasn't enough to pull to uh, help you get through the rest of the film or give you that. Well, um, the, the, you, the, the movies, the movie's runtime is like a very effective, like release valve for that tension, just because it takes so long. Um, and he's not really under suspicion for a long time. Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see how he's sort of like setting up a a trail of breadcrumbs for people to follow when he's like calling himself at the other hotel and leaving Mm -hmm. messages for him and, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, but the watching him like um, watching him take the steps to eventually become Dickie Greenleaf is I thought was much more interesting. Like him, like those scenes where he's like memorizing which jazz goes to which uh, artist. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the scenes right. where he um, uh, like has Dickie like write out those lines from Shakespeare so you can see what his handwriting is like and then get him to sign mm-hmm. it. Um, and yeah, and just watching him sort of build that, that his plot, basically he's plotting to do this thing. Um, I, I think that, I think that the character um, Tom is, is still waffling at all of those points up to the murder. Um, but I do think that once he goes out on the boat, my read of that scene at least is that he picks a fight with him in order to get um Dickie to punch him basically so that he can get his nerve up to like actually That's kill an interesting him. take. Mm. So he wants to kill him, but the whole you don't think he was hoping that uh that Dickie he, would welcome his and you you saw it as he was being aggressive with what he knew that Dickie wouldn't like at that point. I think um I think um okay, let's move in together and just blame it on blame, you know, <laughs> Marge's thing on me and let's have a place in Rome and you don't think he was you knew you think that 
um, Tom knew that, that Dickie was going to reject that. I think, I think Tom like shot his shot in the like bathtub chest scene. Uh, and then after that, he did you know that the, though? Okay. Yeah. You're saying he it. saw the writing on the wall after that, that it wasn't going to happen. Um, it's an interesting read. And then, I mean, maybe, I think maybe he's like, 90 10 you know when he's on the boat and he's like well maybe i'll say this stuff and see how he reacts but then i think i think that he gets to the point where he's like he he needs he needs someone to basically like it's sort of the equivalent of like suicide by cop right he needs the he needs dickie mm-hmm. to like punch him for him to get his nerve up to to kill him something's gonna he, happen one way or another yeah and so he 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 provokes him uh and that sort of gets his nerve up uh, because he, even after, like you see him, he gets his nerve up and then he hits him, right? And then yeah. he's like, oh shit, what have I done? He has this moment of, of sort of clarity. and he That's becomes, where I'm doubting that this was a, such a conscious kind of, what do, they, what do they say in murder cases that it was uh, pre... Uh, meditated. Premeditated, yeah, right. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I think, don't know um, that it was consciously premeditated, but maybe at least on some level he kind of kind of did see the writing on the wall and was wondering. Yeah, he, I think he has it an felt oh, organic shit. the way their argument escalated to me, and I actually had it in my notes to talk about that because there's a lot of plant and payoffs in the movie, as well as like really like circumstances that when you watch it for the fifth time, you really see that these circumstances really um, perfectly benefit our talented Mr. Ripley in keeping the lies going. Um, but I think they walked this line where they managed to string it together in a way that feels organic. If you, as you're watching it, it isn't, but it kind of like, it still kept the illusion going. The magic trick of it felt organic to me, unless you're specifically looking for it. But you know, I mean, if you're looking at it from like a filmmaker's point of view, you're like, you're only guessing what people that don't know these things see or not it's kind of tough to gauge so that's kind of why i'm bringing it up so you so specifically with this one though you think it was like premeditated um i think i think he knew that he i think he wanted to kill him and knew that that was going to be the only option for him to the only option for him at that point but he wasn't, he's not cold blooded enough to just like take him out on a boat and like bonk him on the head. He needed, No, and he doesn't strike me as a naturally or historically like a violent person either. Like yeah. This is probably his first act of violence. Um, and so he needed some, someone to push him over the edge. He needed, yeah, I think he needed Dickie to basically get into a fight with him so that he could get his nerve up. And almost have an excuse, right? Because if they're in a fight, well, then you know he's going to hit him. Um, and he and he does hit him with the oar, and then he sort of has this like, "Oh shit, what have I done?" moment. Yeah, but, reality's um, quick to sink in after that. For him. Yeah, I mean, un un well, but then Dicky um, surviving starts to strangle him, and then he's like, that's sort of the tipping point, right? He's committed. He's Dicky's either going to kill him or he's going to kill yeah. Dicky. And so he kills Dickie. Well, I'll play um, the clip. I think it's an interesting read. Um, 
And I think there's probably at least some truth to whether or not it's conscious of it. I think it, it becomes probably more of a conscious thing as he moves along and kind of formulates it. I don't think it was like super pre-planned or premeditated, but yeah. the circumstance sure, sure led to it. I don't, I don't think so either. I think it's, 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 um, it's putting yourself in a, it's sort of, I, I don't even want to bring it. I hesitate to bring this up because it's such a, like, uh, it's it's it reminds me of the of a recent situation where someone brought a gun to a riot and was like of course he ended up shooting some people you brought a gun to a riot it's sort of like a situation like that where if you put yourself in a situation where some shit's going to go down then some shit's going to go down you know that, yeah that, no I, I think that's a good analogy go ahead jim that's an interesting read i don't agree with it but i, I mean it's definitely interesting um my my take on it just using the 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 some of the i don't know the parts of the film right he definitely has some talents so having him sign and forging you, you know i mean that's part of his craft so paying attention to the things that are of your craft and that you're good at i think that's a natural I think he really wanted to be with Dickie and the bathtub scene was definitely one that was rebuffed. Uh, you, you know, but he, I think he was still there. The reason why I don't think it was premeditated was Dickie chose the boat ride, not Tom. Um, and it was obviously there was tension between the two of them. And unfortunately, the boat ride was where all of the tension was released, right? They had that argument. Yes. And and they were expelling all of that tension. What Tom didn't know is that Dickie is an aggressive person, which we find out later when the uh, private detective talks about his altercation at school where he beat somebody into the hospital. Yeah. And and unfortunately, Tom had to to hit him. Uh, I think some of the other evidence is he laid with his body uh, because yes, you know that's the did. loss of someone he loved. And then uh, there was an, the other part when he goes back to the hotel and he gets mistaken as Dickie Greenleaf. He didn't. He wasn't bold about it. He didn't come and say, "I am Dickie Greenleaf." It was like just, just gauging by his reaction to the hotel clerk. Oh, you think I'm Dickie Greenleaf so I can continue to impersonate him. And in impersonating him, um, I can uh, make uh, everything starting to come together. I agree with you that in this in, in this in this part of Tom's life, he's kind of coming into his own as far as imitating people, being a con man, being able to do all these things to make a guise. But I, I think that's the aha moment for him when he gets mistaken to be Dickie Greenleaf and then he's like, oh, I could use this to cover my tracks. I, yeah, I just, it all just kind of falls into place and he just kind of slips into the role it felt like. Like that stuff didn't seem... Uh, yeah. particularly pre-planned other than almost just um, uh, what what is it, Dosak Machina or something? Like, they're, they're oh, just like, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it, that that scene you bring up when he walks back into the hotel, um, it's a it's a, I found that scene to be an odd scene because mm-hmm. um, so much of the movie going before that um, seems to me to be so clearly Matt Damon laying the groundwork for him to become Dickie Greenleaf. Yeah. Um, and then when he walks into the hotel and the guy's like, oh, Dickie, you're right. He does seem to have this, he does seem to have this like dawning realization that like, oh, mm-hmm. now I can be Dickie Greenleaf. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I didn't understand or it didn't make sense to me that he was, ha- that he would be having that realization at that time. Um, because it's, because it was so, it seems so clear to me that he was putting in so much work beforehand in order to mm-hmm. eventually do that. Um, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't. It's also perfect. That's what I felt too. It's just, it's also perfect that you, yeah. I, I, that's why I liked your analogy about bringing a gun to a riot because it's like, he's, you know, he, he brings all the necessary tools with him, but I still think that it's like on some level, he's just not really consciously aware that he is on some level trying to kind of worm his way into this life when in any way that he can, you know? Yeah. I he sees I a place in the sun to mention that other movie and he right. wants it, you know? Yeah. I don't think it's premeditated in the sense that he had this plan in mind of, I'm going to get Dickie alone on this boat and then I'm going to mm-hmm. hit him with an oar. But no, I think, certainly not. Um, I think he probably had it. I think it, he probably knew that, or he was waiting for an opportunity when he was alone with him to have that conversation, badmouth Marge a little bit, see if he had any any chance left mm-hmm. uh, to sure. be a, to be an item with uh, Dicky, and then when Dicky makes it clear that he's not interested in Tom, um, that's I think sort of when the, sh- the the change the shift goes or the shift takes place where he starts basically provoking him. Um, and, yeah. ask, and basically trying to get him to hit him. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it happens very fast and in the moment yeah. consciously, but it's who's yeah. to say, let's, why don't we play it out and kind of the audience can see what they think. Um, so I called this clip, that's a paddling. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm not pretending to be somebody else, and you are. Boring. I've been absolutely honest with you about my feelings. Boring. But you, first of all, I know there's something. That evening when we played chess, for instance, it was obvious. What evening? Oh, sure, no, no, it's too dangerous for you to take on. Oh, no, no, well, we're brothers. Hey. And then you do this sordid thing with Marge, fucking her on the boat while we all have to listen, which was excruciating. And you follow your cock around like a, and now you're getting married. No, I'm bewildered, forgive me. You're, you're lying to Marge, and then you're getting married to her. You're knocking up Silvana. You're ruining everybody. You, you want to play the sax. You want to play the drums. Which is it, Dickie? What do you actually play? Who are you? Huh? Some third-class mooch. Who are you? Who are you to say anything to me? Who are you to tell me anything? Actually, I really, really do not want to be on this boat with you. I can't move without Shut you. Up. Moving gives me the creeps. You give me the creeps. Can't you move without Dicky, 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 like a little girl all the time. Shut up! Oh, oh God, Dicky. Oh. 
Oh, still makes me sick. The visual, the 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 audio does not sell how wonderfully yeah. done that wound and how realistic it was and how it just there was a moment before the blood starts gushing out and you really oh, see so, how bad the damage is to his head and his yeah, face. Yeah. So brutal. That's one of the best parts of that scene because it has there's a mini reveal in that scene, right? Because you yeah. see it at first, you're like, oh, that's not so bad. And then yeah. you like really see it and you're like, oh, yeah. it's just fucked. like a real wound, too. I mean, that yeah, that really happens realistic. if you've seen it. Yeah. It just takes a moment, you know, for the physics to catch up to the to the trauma, you know. And then it just starts coming out and you're like, oh, this is not this. Once you do something like that, you cannot undo it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so he was in. Yeah, my yeah. my memory of that was so much more brutal. I mean, not to, it's very brutal, but in my mind's eye, you know, cause I hadn't seen this movie for so long. I remember it being more brutal than it was. And yeah, I cringed that's interesting. back then. I was like, man, that's nightmarish, you know? And, and yeah. I think too, being a young man, I was caught up in the emotion of the film as well. Sure. You, sure. you know? And so to see that, you, you know, him hit Jude, first of all, hit Jude Law. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't see it coming. You, you, you know, and then to see Jude Law turn around and then start leaking, I was like, oh, my God. You know? Yeah. Well, then, I mean, they they shove it right in your face, too, right? Because the next, yeah. one of the next, like, shots is mm-hmm. Dickie strangling Tom and his, it's his, yeah. just his face yeah. right in the camera. And his eyes all fucked up and yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's fighting. Well, yeah, and it's a first scene of violence. Oh, right? yeah. And this movie is such a, like a moving in so many different ways. And there's a couple other things that I, I would like to, to touch on from the early parts of the film. But I mean, this is a first act of violence and you're like, oh my God, you, you, yeah. know, you know, this is the movie that I'm watching. You, you, you know? You know um, what I liked about this murder? And uh, specifically that scene is that uh, a lot of times in movie and television, they portray, yeah, they portray murder as the, and and even in in video games is really guilty of this, Um, but they portray death uh, and violence as this, like, if it, if it occurs, it's this quick, clean thing. Mm-hmm. And um, real injuries aren't like that. They're dirty. They're messy. People don't die cleanly. It's horrifying. The gurgling, the spasms, the you know that real stuff that actually happens. If you were yeah. to do this, it, it's it really lends to um, the verisimilitude of the moment that you're experiencing um, when they get those details in there. You know, because um, too many Absolutely. times it's just like you shoot someone and then they drop dead, and maybe there's a little blood or. Or uh, they they do their drama scene and then you know do their death thing or whatever, um, but it's yeah. it's yeah. not clean like that. The reality of it is not clean. It's a dirty, messy business, and yeah, the victims don't die right away and might fight back. You know that's real, and so that's that caught me off guard. Um, but it also you know I felt like it was very true, and um, so it's just such a great standout scene. And everything coming to a head, one way or another, some extreme was going to happen. Either, either it was, and it wasn't the midpoint. You know, even though this feels more like a tragedy um, setup, uh, the midpoint was actually, interestingly enough, uh, the stage 
the opera when he, I guess mm-hmm. he is closest to success at that point because he's now uh, Dickie Greenleaf and dating um, uh, Kate Blanchett's character. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's the midpoint is exactly in the opera scene when the guy kills his buddy and he's bleeding out on stage, uh, mirroring what Tom did. So mm-hmm. it kind of was they kind of did find a way to make yeah. it fit into that. Interestingly enough, that scene is really what sold me on the well, not just sold me on the movie, sold me on the length of the movie to to address something that Pepe mentioned. Usually I'm the one complaining about the length of films. Um, oh, okay, yeah. But to me, what what kept this film interesting, if it was just Tom trying to cover up his crime for the rest of the movie, I don't think I would be as interested. If it was if it was just that, I think it's it's the moment they introduce a room where one person knows Tom as Tom and one person knows Tom as Dickie, and as mm-hmm. soon yeah, as that good. happens, yes. I'm like, oh, I'm very into this now. Yeah, that's, that's like the crux of the film is like. Now it's interesting because he's in a room with a person who thinks he's Dickie yes. and a person who thinks he's Yeah, there's Tom. a different tension. And yeah, and it's like that is very compelling to me. Um, but to take it back to the the boat scene, another important thing that comes out in that scene character-wise is that Tom even has himself fooled with this illusion because he tells Dickie that he's been the most honest with him and he hasn't at all. Like the him liking jazz is a total lie. Um, him like mm. knowing him from Harvard was a lie. He introduced him with a lie. Uh, him yeah, knowing his father, yeah. like he he is his whole relationship with Dickie is cloaked in lies. It's just a dream. He's not being honest yeah. at all, and and uh, he doesn't even realize Dickie. I mean, Tom thinks he's being totally honest, and then later with his relationship with Peter, he's even more dishonest. Um, and it just in a different way, continues. though, yeah, yeah. Because just, I was gonna say with Peter. He's actually being more honest about what he likes and who he is and is actually happier, I think, yeah. than he and is a better fit um, with Peter uh, in that regard. And, but uh, but I love that. And if we see if we judge by Freddie's reaction to how Tom is now living as Dickie, um, t- uh, Dickie would have hated it. Right. So they were never really compatible. It was just kind of like the 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 dream of the thing. But with Peter, he was like, you know, he was more himself and more compatible and happier there, but he was lying in a different way, of course. Right. Is, is, yeah, is probably what you're getting at. Yeah. That, that about the murder, obviously. And yeah, and, of uh, course, that's a big lie. Yeah. But had that murder not occurred, they, I believe that Peter and he might have actually made it, you know? Yeah. Which is why it's so tragic. When he kills yeah. Him. It's crazy. It's, it's well, a really, yeah, and it didn't. I, uh, Pepe, were you too in love with the tension? How the tension was made before, and you just didn't like the new way they were setting it up. Almost, I hate to cheapen it, but like the almost Three's Company esque setup, where you know you're taking two people to the dance or whatever, and you have to play two different people. Like that didn't. Like it was. Was it too big of a shift? No, it wasn't that. It was. It was that like, um, they just spread the tension too thin, right? Like. Because if you have like, I imagine if you like, if you have like a glob of mayonnaise and you like spread it out over like a giant piece of bread, you're not going to taste much of that mayonnaise. So you have you have this tension, and you're allowed to just like sit with it for ninety minutes, basically. And it's also not always on screen. You're not. It's not always there. That tension isn't always there. No, mm-hmm. it's not. But I feel um, like. I'll, I'll let you speak, and then I'll, I'll I'll tell you my take on it. Yeah, it just got it got it got spread too thin. You you were allowed too much too much like rest. In it between. was thin in some points. 
And I think what was happening there was the fun and games, and correct me if I'm wrong, the fun and games of Tom becoming Dickie and doing those things he was promised by the wish fulfillment part. The tension was low there. Um, but I think instead of being spread thin, they had a tension buildup, a release, and then they slowly ramped it up again. And sometime in there, maybe they lost you in the, in the, in the release part. Maybe they just didn't grab you again with it. Um, yeah. Because I feel like the more we went into the third act and towards the end, the tension certainly ramped up pretty, pretty well. He was getting hit from all sides by the end of it, right? Yeah, I mean, when both, when both of the women and um, his other male interests, when, when the four of them are together and interacting, that's interesting. Um, but like, uh, yeah, like, I feel like you could probably almost entirely remove his murder of Fran- Frankie, so Freddie, Freddie, and just like that wouldn't it? It would make it shorter, which would make it better because there would be more of the other better stuff in it. And like his murdered, I, I mean, to like, I thought they should have extended Freddie's character and killed him later, or 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 something maybe because I enjoyed it so much. Well, I loved um, watching come on, him Pepe, get It's Freddie. Everybody loves Freddie. I loved watching him get killed because he's such an asshole. Um, I was mm-hmm. so happy. Well, yeah, it was. It was part of his. I think it was okay. So let's plug. Um, let's um, uh, box that in with uh, or package it in with uh, Tom's wish fulfillment sequence. Then, if I'm trying to, if I'm trying to make everything fit yeah, into right, a geez. into a, a an outline. So. So looking at it like a character study, some of it was wish fulfillment, but some of it, I mean, there were so many tragic elements. So just to take it back to the beginning, you know, Tom Ripley, as Tom Ripley, was a nobody. And you can see that in so many scenes where he's just ignored. You, you, you know, he's brushing the coats off of people's jackets in, in, mm-hmm. in the bathroom, and they're not paying any attention no, he's to him. nothing he's nothing to him you know he's watching uh the symphony and when the rich woman looks back he has to pretend that he's not and shut the curtain you know mm-hmm. he plays the piano at dark you know and he gets caught and he has to leave he's living he, you can tell what about the apartment he, when he's in a he's dingy the, little apartment listening yeah, to the and, domestic abuse above him yeah Exactly. So they really scene got me. They really pull you in in the fact that at this point in time, Tom Ripley is a nobody, but he he's yearning to be a somebody. Yes. You know, by what yes. he does. And so you you root for him. When does he get noticed? When he's yeah, you feel for him. Being poor he, sucks. He, he, yeah. But you, when he gets noticed is when he's impersonating somebody. Because he wore that Ivy League jacket, uh, Dickie Greenleaf's dad, you know, talks to him. Jeez, kind of reminds me of Catch Me If You Can, too. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, because he was able to impersonate, because even Dickie Greenleaf, when he he came into, you know, when they had the scene where he's at the beach and he's talking to him. And then the next day, you know, Marge is like, oh, well, we went out and ate, you know, while you're, you know, and, and I served him coffee, coffee or whatever. And, uh, you, you know, Dickie says, who? And uh, she says, Tom Ripley. And he's like, 
who's that? You know, even yeah, though he was exactly. just introduced the day yep. before. And yep. if you notice in that same scene, Dickie did not take Tom, did not find interest in Tom, in, in Tom until yeah. Tom started role playing his dad. So it, he was always a somebody. And the jazz. Impersonating like somebody. Him. Yeah. He knew when he he's the jazz. Mm-hmm, somebody else. And yeah, you're right. He did it. He's like, oh my God, it's like my dad's here. Uh, Marge, you have to see this. It's it's uncanny. Do it again. And and that's when they start, you know, hanging out. And then also the jazz, you know, which was premeditated, you know, and they're of interest. And all that energy that Pepe was talking about, that he spent honing his craft, you know, impersonating, looking at the signature. Because mm-hmm. he was aspiring to be this somebody. And then he commits the murder. And all of that energy he spends to protect the somebody that he has become. That same amount of energy, right, in aspiring is now the same amount of energy that he's using with the phone calls, acting like, you know, correspondence back and forth from Tom and Dickie. And I yeah. feel like. The tension ebbs and flows because this is based, even though it's a screenplay, it's based on a novel and there was more than one climax, right? So the tension builds with, uh, with, with uh, Freddie Miles. Y- you know, is he going to uncover me? And then Freddie yeah. Miles gets killed. And then the tension builds when uh, the police inspector comes and then later on when the, the private detective comes, but then you see, oh, he got away with it. And then you see the tension build again when you think the movie's about to be over and he's going to have this happy life on the boat. And I and I feel like having more than one climb, I mean, because that happens sometimes in novels where you think it ends and it has room for another one. Mm-hmm. I think it was great in this movie. But to have all of those different ebbs and flows movie had to be as long as it was you know and it, and it was it was a long but anyways uh, that was my my take on that yeah you also have to be as a viewer ready like i said to yeah be in for that ride and kind of luxuriate in those settings and those are meant to be appealing aspects too because who doesn't mm-hmm. want to take a trip to italy and, yeah. and in the most luxurious way, it's a, it's an escapism in that sense. So, sure. you know, it's hitting on that too. Um, whether or not it completely worked for you or not is up to the viewer to, to decide. Right. But yeah, yeah I take your point on that stuff. Um, I'll, I want to play a couple other clips just because a, they're so good and B it might spark a little bit more discussion. Um, even though we're getting kind of close to wrapping up the discussion part. Um, it might lead us to some final thoughts and stuff. I wanted to play the bath scene when they get close to, it's kind of the most intimate romantic scene between uh, Dickie and Mm -hmm. Tom. Called Bath Bros. Hmm. The Anime Brothers. No. No brothers, no sisters. Me neither. Or is Marge? All only children. 
What does that mean? It means we've never shared a bath. I'm cold. Can I get in? So clearly there was some sexual tension there and it almost seemed like uh, Dickie was considering actually saying yes and then kind of thought about it for a moment and then, you know, um, uh, recoiled or whatever from the from the whole situation. I think that on some level, Dickie was enjoying almost, I don't know if it's teasing or just like enjoyed the relationship or or liked the tension, the sexual tension without actually like bringing it to a head or whatever. And, you know, was hoping that they could keep it on a certain level. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah. I mean, just, just allowing Tom to be in there and like not asking for a towel or anything when he got out, it seems like he wasn't entirely opposed to the idea. It could be that he was, he's just very comfortable with himself and his sexuality and therefore doesn't care that Tom is, clearly attracted to him uh, or you know it could have been that there was something between them it's it's unclear if that's totally tom's delusion of their relationship or actually something that was present and i think it's meant to be sort of ambiguous um because we're seeing everything from tom's perspective anyway so it's it's yeah it, i think you know. you're right yeah. I, I pretty much agree with what you said there any other opposing thoughts or other thoughts i i thought that uh yeah i thought i thought dickie um, figured out that Tom was interested in him pretty quickly and sure. okay. um, knew that for pretty much the whole, he knew that even before um, the, and he even encouraged test. it, I think. Yeah. And I, I think he's, a, I think he's enough of a narcissist to, to, yeah, mm -hmm. to like enjoy yeah, it. That even explains he's it. He's not going to, yeah. he's not yeah. necessarily going to reciprocate fully. I, I agree with that. Uh, you can see that he's, and there were signs that you know when they were on the train, and uh, Tom puts his kind of his head on his shoulder while he's sleeping, and then mm -hmm. uh, Dickie starts to wake up, or, or he's looking at the reflection, and then Dickie starts to wake up, and then Tom, I I, I think Dickie knew. You, you know, but he liked that attention. He got the attention from everyone around him. I mean, he's kind of, you know, he's kind of yeah. like whether or not it was sexual in nature for him yeah. is definitely more obscure, but he definitely encouraged and enjoyed mm -hmm. that attention. Yeah, uh, I will. I will say also on a less serious note, that scene totally reminded me of a, there's a famous vine that's uh, that that's a dude filming from a hotel window down into a, a hot tub and he sings two dudes chilling in a hot tub five feet apart because they're not gay and it's because it's like two guys sitting in a hot tub but they're like as far apart as humanly possible i, just, I, I totally brought that to me they so got a case of the not gays yeah that's the thing in movies too even in lord of the rings they had to write in samwise had a girlfriend uh, for fear that people oh, would draw the wrong conclusion yeah the not gays that's a thing
Uh, they do that. They did that particularly in a lot of '80s and '90s movies, mm-hmm. and maybe before. But those are the ones that I grew up watching. So those are the ones I noticed. Um, probably less important now for filmmakers. In fact, they probably want to avoid doing that, um, especially since they've been called out for actually writing in the not gay parts. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, as, as recently as Lord of the Rings, that was a big one. I remember they cha- that wasn't in the uh, Rosie or whatever her name was was not in the ho- uh, in the Lord of the Rings books, as far as I remember. Everyone's I everyone's think thinking was. back. Was she really? I think so. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I I was a little surprised to hear you use that as an example because I was, I'm pretty sure that, or it struck me that those movies wanted to sort of insinuate that uh, that um, uh, certainly the books seem or, to. Uh, the books do not. No, they don't at all. Uh, no, you don't think so. I remember no. that specifically. I'm drawing upon an old memory here, and this even dates back to when they, this was released, that that was an issue, and they specifically included those to make sure that everyone knew that Sam was not uh, romantically interested in Frodo. Uh, now, I'm basing that off a of memory, though. So, you know, memory's fallible. Well, you may be right, but I mean, I think, like, it sort of became a sort of meme that, like, that... Frodo and and Sam were gay for each other in those movies. Yes, but that's why they had to put that in, you see. Oh, okay. Because well, they yeah, knew maybe. they were doing they knew they were doing it, but they also knew that they had to include that lest it not be palatable for the mass audience. So they made yeah. a real distinct point right from the beginning. Like uh, Sam yeah. loves Rosie. Sam wants to dance with Rosie. Right. Well, I think also, um well, I don't know how much you want to talk about Lord of the Rings, but so I'll stop. I always want to talk about Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, but, yeah, but no, yeah. If you want to make a quick point or whatever. Stupid Devin has to go to stupid work, so stop talking. <laughs> yeah, Not let me play stupid, some more clips. Stupid Lord of the I, Rings. I, I love these clips. I want to get to them. Um, this one's just, this actually supports kind of your idea that there's some premeditation maybe or on some level. Well, actually, on some level, I think you're right because I think that like he does these things like I'm going to play the clip about the signature. He He does these things and they're clearly that's conscious. He wants to see a signature right. so he can copy it. He doesn't know why, but it's a tool he wants. He wants that. So I'll play this and Pepe, you can respond. Well, I was even that oh, scene that Jim okay. referenced when he's looking in the reflection, he's he's like, he's seeing Dickie's face over uh, his yes. face overlaid and he's like, it's got to be going through his head like I could be Dickie. He wants to be like him, but I don't know that he is fully aware that he will assume his identity yeah, but right. i don't know it's hard to say let's, let's listen to this try to parse it out adam melinda says you wash out the same shirt every night is that true no i have more than one shirt she can do that for you anyway just wear some of my stuff or anything you want most of it's ancient now your signature not dicky your signature Without the glasses, you're not even ugly. I don't need them because I never read. How do I look? <laughs> like Clark Kent. <laughs> now Superman. Superman. Actually, while I was listening to that, he I remember that after that he analyzed his signature, so maybe it was a different thing he wanted to study, but he did mention even before 
that he has a talent for copying signatures. So yeah, they kind of leave it up to your judgment, but man, there, there's a lot of plotting and some part of them is always be bopping and scatting ready to turn something into his favor, you know? So. And it's interesting that he said Clark Kent and that could have been Mm -hmm. like a, a, a slip because Clark Kent, you know, had an alter ego as well. Um, as far as the putting the not gay, I, I just find that so interesting, you know, just from what I've read, just male, you know, first of all, Frodo was a faithful companion. And I Mm -hmm. think, I think I could be wrong. You guys correct me if I am. Tolkien kind of created that archetype and then that trope kind of just kind of continued of that you know the the faithful companion the one that never leaves you even when you're you know in a weakened state and that is definitely a a fantasy trope um but male affection for each other you know just from what i've read and pictures that i've seen and stuff like that males were in you know past years you know probably 1940s even earlier were much more affectionate to each other you know and not afraid to show male affection non-sexual and we've come into and there's still vestiges of it this hyper time where you know to show kind of male affection of a physical nature you know, you don't do that unless somebody think you, you know, you're, you're not heteronormative. You, you know what I mean? And what I found is when you keep things kind of suppressed, right. then it will find a way to kind of bubble to the surface. They talk about like shadow self, the shadow parts of society. I think we talked about this in a, one of our other episodes, but having to, include scenes because instead of faithful companion people read oh they're gay for each other you you know what i mean you're putting something that probably isn't there you know because you're people are dwelling on that you know because there are these kind of like cultural restrictions that oh don't do that you know or else you're seen kind of that way does that does that make sense yeah. You throw a big budget in there and suddenly people have to conform to what they think people will tolerate or not, whether or not they personally think it's right or wrong. That stuff like the not gay thing creeps into stories that way. Yeah. And I can't, once you see it, you can't really unsee it, especially from that time period when coming out meant the end of your career rather than sure. tends, tends to be more accepted by most society today with terrible and horrifying um uh extremists that still are are obviously still a threat in that regard Uh, it's not like it's without ramifications or a lot of people still if they come out as uh anything other than heteronormative they might risk losing their you know getting kicked out of their house and being homeless and being shunned Mm -hmm. etc etc yeah okay let me play we're down to 20 minutes left, Ben, to see. Yeah, no, I know. Um, yeah, I just want to play the French Columbo guy and give him his due. 
Um, Kate Blanchett, <laughs> I, I have a clip of her, but I just, since I feel like if I was going to cut anywhere, I would have probably cut her parts a little bit, even though she's great um, at portraying what everyone hates about rich people. Um, oh, we just hate having money. It's just yeah, so just terrible. One percenter like, problems. Yeah, I'll skip yeah. that one. I, I have to include French Columbo because this whole thing s- struck me as very much a Columbo type of, of thing. So they give French Columbo his due diligence for a scene here. If you would ask Monsieur to come back later. Thank you. May I ask you, why would you speak to your friend and not your fiancé? I think I, I just said, um, Mr. Ripley was handling some business for me. Nor does Mr. Ripley want to marry me and ask me every single day if I'll marry him and when. Do you keep a photograph of Senor Ripley? I'm not in the habit of carrying around photographs of my male friends. Now I think I'll upset you. Sorry. My English perhaps is coarse. It is a little coarse, yes. No one has seen Signor Ripley since San Remo. I have. Oh, you, you have, yes. And so is Miss Sherwood. Ask her. And uh, um, if I can remember the name of the hotel he was staying at, um, <laughs> um, the Goldoni. Tom was staying at the Goldoni. Goldoni. The Goldoni, good, good, good. Yes, you are right. You are right, the coincidence. <sighs> I look forward to our next meeting hmm? when I will be more careful with my English. That guy had him so uh, done. He, he had him he pegged. He knew exactly that he was the murderer. Uh, and then he gets removed from the case later, of course. But yeah, uh, th- there's your French Columbo uh, sure. payoff scene. So that's kind of fun. Um, okay, so anything else we want to... Um, add before we move on and take a, a commercial break. Just a quick, quick question. Uh, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. When Tom early on reveals to Dickie when he's impersonating his dad the reason why he's there, he reveals all of that. Why do you think he did that instead of kind of keeping that to his chest? I think he realizes that he's less in like he after meeting uh, Dickie, he realizes he is less interested in getting some money from Dickie's dad than he is in being with Dickie. Once he realizes how much he likes Dickie, maybe falls in love with him. He's like, okay, I don't care about a bunch of money. I want to be with this guy. And so he basically abandons that entire plan of of bringing him back to New York. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah. He fell in love with that place in Dickie's sunshine or whatever. Yeah. However, Marge put it, she put it more eloquently. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, and it would take something like passion at that level to, uh, for someone that poor to, you know, disregard the, the, the nice, easy payday. So I think he was in it for the payday and knew he could handle it. And maybe the dad had a sense of his shrewdness too, or something. Didn't, didn't know it would be like, uh, releasing, uh, a shark into the tank, yeah. right? into the, in the nice Italian bay there. Okay, so we definitely have enough to at least formulate a grade. We could probably talk on this one for uh, many more hours if we so chose. It's a very rich movie uh, with a lot of detail and nuance. 
Okay, but before that, before we assign grades, uh, we'll take a little commercial break and hear from our sponsor. And now a word from our sponsors. Have you ever found yourself in Italy and all you have is one rumpled set of clothes and an old corduroy jacket? You can't get that just found out your mistress was pregnant with your child and drowned herself in the sea smell out of your old jacket. We've all been there. One trip to Friendly Tom's de-rippling service and you'll be right as rain in no time at all. One trip to Friendly Tom's de-rippling service and your shirt won't look like that old corduroy jacket anymore. No, sir. That's our 100% ripple-free guarantee. In fact, bring all your clothes and jewelry too. Weird pinky rings encouraged. Act now and win a free boat rental with Tom himself. You'll be bludgeoned to death with pleasure. Sign this ticket and we'll get started. No, not your nickname. We need your legal signature. It's just boilerplate business stuff. No need for scrutiny. Lay facing away in a vulnerable position and tell me good things about friendly Tom's de-rippling service. That's right. Good. Friendly Tom's de-rippling service. Your one-stop shop for all your de-rippling needs. 100% ripple-free guarantee or your identity back. Warning, 100% satisfaction guarantee, not guaranteed. Tom may not actually be Tom. He may be Dickie. Tom Dickie. Dickie Tom? Ripley Dick? Yeah, there we go. That's the one. Ripley Dickie's Tom Friendly's Detoming Dick Rippling Service. Come in today and you'll look like a new man. Fucking nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. Read, read the copy. The copy's good. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed oh, that. Man. So good. Don't tune out for our commercials. <laughs> oh, never. These are these are these are Super Bowl quality commercials, man. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, okay, so let's see if we have. Uh, speaking of the Super Bowl quality, let's see if we have Super Bowl quality grades for this and where it uh, measures up with our little grading system we have. I'm trying to give myself enough time to find the clip. An A plus. Um, I would give this one actually an A minus. Um, I think that maybe it could have benefited a little from a trim trim here and there, but mostly a uh, really great film. I hadn't seen it in a long time. It was actually uh, more of a pleasure to watch again than I thought it would be. And um, it's, it still had uh, some surprises in there that I didn't quite remember. And uh, especially that boat scene really delivered. Uh, enough twists and turns and tension to keep me going through the whole thing. And it was a nice little trip to Italy. Um, we all got to become uh, Mr. Greenleaf uh, and uh, swing our big wallet around. So that was kind of a fun, like uh, uh, fantasy fulfillment thing for me. So a minus for me, but Devin, uh, where did you land on the talented Mr. Ripley? Yeah, I think I'm very close to yours. I think I'm just a half step down at a B plus. I, I do mm -hmm. think that it it was a very long film, and that initial sort of taste of of genericness kind of 
soured me a bit. And even though I kind of warmed up to it, I can't discount how I initially felt. So uh, yeah, for me, it's a B plus. Still very good movie. Um, clearly great cinematography and acting. Um, just uh, yeah, a little long, little bit of, you know, I also had a kind of an issue with the deus ex machina of, of him kind of getting away with the murder. Um, yeah, that would be it, my other being, point. Yeah, without if I were to super be... clear why, just kind of privilege, I guess. He just sort of gets away with it. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. Privilege does have a lot to do with it. It's almost like that in uh, American Psycho as well. Guy just can't get caught, and he's like even actually trying to give right. himself up, and, he, and they took it a step further, I think, in that one. Just now you're rich. We're not going to arrest you. It's not going to happen. You shot a police car up. Who knows if it's in your mind? Yeah, so that, that would be the other thing. But I, I do think that the illusion of uh, it being an organic situation holds up unless you're looking for it. And I think if you start looking for it and picking apart, you could probably see uh, how organized it all is, right? Um, so fair, fair assessment and fair grade. Pepe, I'm very curious where you landed on Talented Mr. Ripley. Uh, I'm sort of waffling between a B and a B minus. Um, I mm -hmm. think, um, watching this twice in the span of two weeks did a little bit of a disservice because I really, I, I was pretty bored on my second watch. Um, mm -hmm. but my first watch, I was pretty interested. I didn't remember it all. I didn't remember all the ins and outs of it. Um, so I guess I will, uh, err on the side of, uh, this movie's benefit and give it a B. That's nice of you. Um, uh, I, yeah, you know, I, I would say that a lot of movies, um, you want to go back and rewatch and see where they've planted these things on this one. It's more of like, and I keep using this term, the a magic trick where maybe you don't want to do this trick twice in a row because then you'll start seeing, uh, the illusion of it, you know, falter a bit. The one, the one thing that I, that I did notice on the re the soon after rewatch was that the, the, mm -hmm. the movie starts where it ends. I, I didn't make the connection the mm -hmm. first time. Um, to bookend it, yeah. yeah. To be honest, I think this movie pretty much like lays all its cards on the table, basically at all points. And I, I didn't, I didn't find that there was a lot to, a lot of hidden things to discover uh, upon uh, 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 close rewatch. No, you're only going to see the mechanisms, and you really don't yeah. want to see those. You want right, it to feel yeah. organic, and so that illusion of the situation just organically coming together into this murder and sliding into this guy's thing, it will falter if you scrutinize it too much. And so I think yeah. the first time you're so taken by everything else that you'll probably, most people, the trick will work. Yeah, right? they'll suspend their dis disbelief uh, enough. Yeah, to, on, yeah. yeah. right. Uh, it's, not like, it's not like uh, Sixth uh, Sense six when sense, you yeah. want to go back and see everything from the other point of view or, or what's the one we watched... Uh, get out it's not like that where you'd want to go back and like look for those clues real quick pepe you said b right my audio cut out yeah b. yeah Sorry. yeah okay. he did yeah yeah okay jim final thoughts and grade on talent mr ripley um i, I give this an a i yeah. enjoyed it just as much this watch as i did you know so many years ago uh, the beauty of, of the film, uh, the dialogue, the way the characters interact with each other, all the different characters. I, I, it's really interesting. It's definitely. Yeah. I mean, this movie is like way better than Dr. Strangelove. So for all. <laughs> <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> 
beautiful. Twisting the knife in a very uh, Tom Ripley fashion. You've been de-rippled, Pepe. Congratulations. My, my ripples. <laughs> you got de-rippled. No. I love that Freddie just cuts <laughs> cuts to the quick when he talks about his corduroy. Like, who comes to Italy in corduroy or Roman corduroy? Oh, mm. my goodness. <laughs> so so yeah. great. He burned him so good there. <laughs> yeah, right. Freddie knew how to get his goat better than anyone else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, really, it was. And we've all known Freddie, like those guys that are just so good at seeing through the bullshit and cutting you to your quick, you know, that's probably happened to all of us, I'm sure, at some point and in our are lives. Willing, and are willing to do that at your expense. And they use the uncomfortableness. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uncomfortableness, your fodder. That wit, that empathy, and that insight, instead they use it for uh, ego reasons. You know, yes. the, to, because they're doing it in social situations where you're uncomfortable yes. and you already yes. are off kilter to how to act. Yeah, those guys are. Yeah, they're real. Sure. Yeah, so that's Chads why I said it was wish fulfillment yeah. to kill him. Like we've all yeah. we've all had that like thought, just like mm-hmm, I'm gonna hit yeah. you with the statue. See how you see how smart you are now, Freddie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, dark wish, of course. Um, so, uh, lest I stray and Lieutenant Columbo show up at my door in five <laughs> minutes from now. Okay. We have grades to do or a GPA to announce. Sorry. Yeah. So, uh, we've landed on a rare solid, uh, number here, 3.5, uh, which is a B okay. plus. Um, the first, our first ever 3.5, um, just to oh, point that out. Cool. Although it is, it is a like window that we like very much. The B plus window, um, we, that joins the lighthouse, which is 3.4. So this is slightly better than the lighthouse. Um, not correct. <laughs> enemy, enemy in 10 Cloverfield lane, also 3.4s, uh, the Blair Witch Project 3.48. So it's the closest to that, uh, just a hair above, um, Black Swan was also 3.4 and Truman Capote's A Christmas Memory 3.32. So like I said, very common. I mean, it makes sense because we're all trying to put out movies we actually like. This isn't like Turkey Shoot, the the idea to just put stuff that's actually, you know, uh, something we want to tear apart. So So, it makes sense. So basically, Devin, what you're saying is it's better Uh than Enemy, The Lighthouse, and Doctor Strange, love. <laughs> it sounds, sounds like it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the law of the land that stands. So it's just it's not a matter of opinion anymore. Um, <laughs> Failing a Pepe. <laughs> all right, just, let's get I'm down sorry, to business. Man. I'm sorry. Uh, let us roll the one-sided <laughs> dice to find out what we'll be watching next week. And since there's only one left, and y'all know it's mine, I'll just quickly announce. Well, now let's do the dice. It's fun. Okay, mental dice rolled, and it was a one on my one side dice. And the movie we'll be watching is The Shawshank Redemption 1994. You didn't see it coming, Pepe. HBO Max nominated for seven oscars including best picture and it won none it won zero so that'll be an interesting discussion um um i know there'll be mixed uh mixed um opinions about this film um so i look forward to talking about that with you guys 
next time, go over to HBO Max and check out the old Shawshank Redemption or just turn on any old TV station at any time of day and uh, it'll be playing (laughs) on on some channel. It will literally be playing on any channel. So that's that's interesting. uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. It'll be a fun show and we'll wrap up the series. Um, okay, so that's roll for next episode. We have um, a roll for next series to do. It's time since it's the penultimate episode. We are down to our show business, and we do have show business indeed. Before Devin has to scurry away, um, so we're gonna play a little theme Jeopardy. Our show is just a hey. stack of dice all the way down. We're gonna roll even more dice and let fate decide the next series theme. Uh, so, if we're ready to take a look at our categories. Yes, sir. Adventure films. Modern sci fi. Music makes the movie. Eastern animation. And mind benders. Okay. Sorry, I said and early is one more. Oh, that was my bad. All right. We'll just uh, leave that in there because I'm not going to edit that. (laughs) (laughs) And older than me. Yeah. And have another ding, though. And older than me. Okay. I love these categories. All right. Ready to roll some more dice and find out what we're watching uh, for series eight. I'm ready. Okay. Theme me. That's a one, meaning it is our most interested in category, adventure films. Hmm. All right. Yeah, who doesn't like a good adventure film? That's going to give us a a wide berth there to bring in just about anything we like. So uh, that's going to be a great series. Don't miss that one. Series eight, adventure films. So to our co-hosts who will be with, with us in series eight, probably all of us, that are present um start thinking what you want to watch and submit by next week so we can announce our first adventure film thank you for that Devin. i know you probably have to go but you're always welcome to stay i'll leave that up to you yeah I should hop out but uh it's been it's been fun i won't be here for one more thing but everybody watch archive 81 it's a great show netflix original that's all oh okay, okay. cool check it out that's the appropriate right. length of time for just one more thing actually we <laughs> exactly. always just mess it up so. <laughs> all right cool all right later guys that's how fast they're supposed to later, be guys devin. all right later devin thanks see you next week you know what you okay know what we should, uh you know what we should do oh ben? go ahead go ahead you know how yeah. at the oscars if the speech goes on too long they just start playing music they play you, you off should just, yeah. you should just do that you should just give people okay. I'll get some playing off music. Play, playing music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, just, you know, it's funny you should mention turn that. Turn the volume up so that we <laughs> I'll definitely get that because I the 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 um the the account I have, whatever the, the membership I have at Storyblocks allows you to get three songs and I use two of them. So I'll get a playing oh, nice. off okay. song. Yeah. I'll I'll use that on whoever wins uh for this uh Dundee as well, which we'll have next week. Um okay, so more show business. I do have a quick retraction. Uh oh. Uh, quick retraction. Last show, I mentioned the Earth was approximately 5 billion years old. Um, oh. Reverend Bishop wrote in. Uh, that's his real oh, name. Wow. Uh, with this correction, email, huh? uh, it's actually around 6K years old. Uh, oh, if no. you just take uh, the talking snake into consideration. So, noted. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Reverend Bishop. Our apologies for that error. 
Um, fan emails, you can write to ben at redheadmedia.com and we may respond on the show. Uh, let us know how we're doing. Did we get something wrong, uh, like uh, Reverend Bishop told us? Uh, did you arrive at the same conclusions as James Pepe and are therefore, uh, therefore correct. completely correct? Yeah, <laughs> <Yes>. exactly. <laughs> Objectively correct. The objective truth was had. Uh, what part or parts of the show did you like best? Did you learn something new? Is this stuff old hat for you? Uh, what are you listening? Oh, what are you listening from? Where are you listening from? Couple of people from Japan this week. Hello in Japan. Um, write us, write us hey. a show, uh, write the show and let us know. Uh, any other questions or comments? We'll read it on the show. Especially if you agree with Pepe, you're in there. Yeah, most especially. <laughs> yeah. You know what? To be honest, everybody doesn't, no one is writing in because all of our audience agrees with me. And so they don't need to write in. 100% and, and of the time. Yeah, they would just be supporting me. It would be a, but I would like to point out that, Ben, you said that the Earth was around six 6,000 years old. It's actually a flat 6,000 years old. Ooh, very good, sir. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Reverend Bishop will love that one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, like when, right. that's like when the flat Earth people talk about how they have, they have members all over the, all around the globe. There's flat I Earth know. Is, they're a, they're a global yeah, right. yeah, organization. So funny. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So Zombies. I'm sure we'll, we'll have another retraction for you guys next week as well. So <laughs> tune in for that. We'll, we'll get plenty of stuff wrong. Don't worry. Um, I think that's about it. Mm -hmm. That's where the show usually ends. What's that? Or just dash. one more thing. <laughs> uh -oh. I'm not Tom Ripley. I'm, uh, your, uh, I'm Dickie your Greenleaf. Your spring rolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man! Now uh, just I'm going to order spring uh, rolls. Uh, dipping sauce? Do you want the the dipping sauce? <laughs> Get it right, Colombo. Get it right. Yeah. <laughs> this food is yeah, cold. Uh, I'm from DoorDash. We don't deliver hot food. <laughs> DoorDash, Colombo. Yeah. <laughs> just one more thing. We forgot your milkshake. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. so. Lieutenant DoorDash <laughs> Colombo, as he is uh, affectionately known, says we have time for just one more thing where each co-host shares something from outside of the show. Um, and we'll start with James Pepe because I need to scramble to come up with something. Uh-oh, okay. Um, well, I so I recently started reading, uh, rereading Hyperion by Dan Simmons. Uh, I read this once before a long, long time ago. And I remembered it just being just like the fucking best thing. Um, and some friends of mine uh, who'd never read it wanted to read it for the first time. And since I hadn't read it for a long time, um, I was like, let's, well, let's read it together. And so we have read the first chapter and it's just so fucking good. Um, and it's great. So if you like science fiction, if you like the Canterbury Tales and mm -hmm. you think, uh, the Canterbury Tales in space would be super cool. Um, read Hyperion by Dan Simmons. You have piqued my curiosity, sir. And might I say that reading a novel with someone is a novel way to read a novel. It's super cool because after you read it, much like this podcast, you can talk to them about it. I know, so right? Yeah. You can have a conversation. I love it. Oh, yeah. I want to do that. Huh. This is good. This is good. I know. Okay. Jim Scott, that... what have you got for us this week? On just I, one I more thing. Just... I was oh, just going to say, yep, that is such a good author. If, if you have a chance, oh, if you haven't okay. already, Carry On Comfort is 
really good. It's not science fiction, but it's really, really good. No, he writes a bunch of different stuff too. Like there was, I don't remember mm-hmm. who did it. it might have been Amazon did the that show The Terror. That was based on one of his yes, novels. I've read too. that too. Great. What's the author's Great. name again? For those of us who are so, unaware. Dan Simmons and Hyperion okay. is actually part of a, I think a four book series because of course. Yes. Called the what Hyperion. does Hyperion the word mean? I only know the Criterion collection. And that's what I keep thinking of. I know Hyperion means something and I forget what it is. It's a Greek thing. I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, maybe I'll Google honest. it real quick because I want to know. It's a great word. Yeah, so the whole series is called the Hyperion Canto, Cantos. Um, and if you, I, I haven't read any of the other books in the series. I've just read Hyperion. But you've read it um, twice, it, or this is the second time you're reading it, this right? This is the second time I'm reading it. I'm, I'm reading it, yeah. I own Hyperion's that a Greek book. myth guy. I've owned that book. It sat on uh, not the bookshelf I have currently, but a bookshelf I had and never cracked it. Unfortunately, well, I have listening. more books than I actually read. Sorry. Oh, well, yeah. And, and I goes. get books from the library on top of that when I have plenty of books here. That's know. why that Twilight Zone episode still stings. You know the one with the glasses. <laughs> Time enough at last. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The irony. Um, yeah, so Hyperion was a Greek myth, uh, a titan, son of Uranus. Why does it say Greek myth, a titan? Oh, the free dictionary, you suck. But titan, Uranus was a god. Titans came before Uranus, so how is he a titan? Um, it says he's the son of Uranus and... and uh, Father of Helios and Selene the Moon. No, that can't be right. Well, look it up. He's a Greek myth. Uh, okay, a, I'll give myself an F on that one. Yeah, good enough for me. Uh, great word though. I'll I'll, I'll definitely uh, look into this guy though. That you, so you're both lauding him as as someone to uh, check out. So I've got to mm-hmm. do it. Um, yeah. So Jim, what have you got for us this week? Um, so real quick, I actually have, you had mentioned him, but I have a Malcolm Gladwell book talking, hey, to, yeah. talking to strangers. And, and it's interesting, this book. Um, so it's a premise, ba- basically the premises are, why are we so bad at detecting falsehoods or lies? We think we're good at it. We think that there are institutions that are good at it, like you would expect a judge, right, to be good at detecting lies. They're not. You would expect the CIA to be good at detecting lies. They are not because we are humans and we are fallible. And um, he uses a lot of anecdotes. Some of the anecdotes are spread across stories, which I always thought anecdotes were for like, pathos for passion in arguments but he uses them to draw some very astute interesting uh conclusions this book i will not tell you why we are bad at detecting lies you will have to pick this book up and read it for yourself it's because we're good liars I bet. <laughs> yeah, we're just exceptionally good at lying. No, we're, <laughs> humans are exceptionally bad at being able to detect lies. I've read that one, and it's an mm-hmm. interesting book. Unfortunately, I've read, like, probably, I want to say I've read all of Malcolm Gladwell's books. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not like a brag. It's just 
they kind of all um, blend into each other. Yeah. Yeah. So I never remember which ones from which book or which concepts from which one, unless it's right in the title. But yeah, I do remember that one. It's a very good book. And uh, I could probably recommend any of his stuff, whether or not you agree with him. He has fascinating, fresh takes on a lot of things. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, much of which I think probably has some merit and he backs it up with evidence and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, go figure. So if you haven't checked out Malcolm Gladwell, I can jump on that trolley as well. Um, have you read any of his other books? Are you a, are you a fan? No, no. You had mentioned them. And so I seen mm-hmm. it at the library. I seen the title. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Thinking it was a different type of book. Mm. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, you know, talking to strangers, being very literal mm-hmm. uh, in, mm-hmm. in the in the translation. But of course, there's um, uh, uh, an addendum. What we should know about the people we don't know which was kind of interesting as, as, as well. Um, yeah. So cool. Well, enjoy that dive. If you like his books uh, or if you like that book, they're all about the same level of, of quality. Yeah. So I do. If, if you like it, I think you could probably just grab any of the ones he's written and, and get something out of it. Yeah. So that's, that's great to hear. Yeah. Cool. Jim. Thank you. Yeah, I'll just I'm going to just sound off on something specific to us that I'm super stoked that we all have uh, Oculus VR headsets or whatever the hell they're calling them this week, Um, because we've really been enjoying like finding these hours throughout the week to hop on and play like Demio and mini golf and other games like that. So that's been a a great joy. And then uh, on PlayStation 5, it's also been fun uh having all, many of us jump on there and play a few games there so that's been an enjoyable thing so uh make time for some games just don't let it overwhelm your life like it does to us or you'll end up tragically <laughs> like us uh having all the fun in the world and happily ever after so that'll be my just one more thing as my wife slams the door in the background oh yeah i'll have to massage that relationship now <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all right Take my wife please. yeah yeah right no she does she, in her to her credit she does a, a small miracle you guys know gaming with me how loud and distracting it can get around here so she pulls off a yeah. small miracle letting us record the show every week so thank I mean, you those, to her for that those numbers ain't gonna count themselves no they're not no absolutely <laughs> they must be counted it must be. Yeah. Um, so I think we probably are at the actual end instead of the uh, fake end of the show. <laughs> I think I'll miss you most of all. Dorothy is letting us know it's time to say goodbye. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. I don't think you're crying either. Tom's crying. Let's start with James Pepe. Yeah, I've been uh, James Pepe. Um, Thanks for coming out and either watching or listening. And I hope to see you back uh, next week, watching or listening again. Yeah, that that sentiment. All right. And Jim Scott, what have you got? Yeah, I'm Jim Scott. I, I too, uh, appreciate uh, all of you gentle listeners and friends and farewell. Take care. And this has been I'll Look at Yours If You Look at Mine. And now that you've looked at ours, we hope to look at yours soon.
If you enjoy the show, be sure to smash that like button, comment, subscribe, ring the bell, give us a five-star review, dot your I's, cross your T's, sign here, initial here, and don't forget to tell your friends. And remember to watch The Shawshank Redemption 1994, now streaming on HBO Max for next week's show. Until next time, keep on looking.